Hello and welcome to StarkCast. I'm Joe Stark, and today I am talking with a hero of noise. That's right, I'm talking with Dan Ramirez. What is up, my friend? What's happening, Joe? Dude, I'm so happy to be here. It, I have been waiting to be on this show for probably, not waiting, like you just waiting for you to invite me, of course, but I've, <laughs> I've been wanting to be on this show for like the last two years, man, so I'm glad to be here. I'm so excited to have you, and and that's, that's so cool to hear too, man. Um, it's funny because... You know, I remember hearing you on Pop Culture Leftovers and and plugging your show and like checking it out, but it was like at a point in time in my life and where work was just really, really insane. And so sure. like it was really hard to listen to podcasts and focus on them at the time because I was learning a new a new job and all that. Right. And um and so then I fell off, but then when I picked it up again, and that was when I had reached out to you, to you and Steve, and saying how much I love the show and everything. And you were like, "Dude, you got to go back and listen to the first episode." And yeah, in your first episode, you shouted out this show, and like that was it was just so cool because when I came to find Heroes of Noise, you guys were already so deep into it, and like you and Steve have such a good like chemistry between you guys and the way you guys do the show and everything. And it always sounds so good. Oh, and, thanks, and man. then you're like, the first episode, you're like, yeah, StarCast is awesome. I'm like, well, thank you. But I, I feel like I'm nowhere near as professional sounding as you guys. And I like you guys have just such an awesome show. And, and I'm so excited to be a fan of yours as well. Joe, is it OK to use profanity on the show? Yeah, without a doubt. OK, then let's not fuck about, sir. You're doing great. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> you have a great show. It's crazy. Like I listen to your show before I listen to Pop Culture Leftovers. And I'm starting to think – I've been thinking about this lately. I'm thinking that I found Pop Culture Leftovers because of StartCast. You know how like on iTunes, it'll be like, uh, you may like this show too. I'm thinking that's how Pop Culture Leftovers jumped onto my radar. Uh, because that's wild. I, it's really crazy. I mean I just – I don't even know how I found you actually. I'm terrible at that. I'm really bad at like recollecting names and also when people ask the question of when did you first start listening, I'm terrible at that. I actually went back and tried to listen. Or I did listen actually. I was very successful at listening. But I went back and uh, I'm thinking that it was a Paul Hart episode when I jumped on, which is crazy because I just met Paul Hart and we've been talking quite a bit and you know we've gotten close and everything. So it's just weird how this all comes full circle. Like I didn't really – you know, <laughs> right? I knew that the Paul Hart was just like Joe Schmo to me when I heard the name because I didn't know who he was. You know what I'm saying? And then – Loved Paul. Who doesn't love Paul, right? Oh, Paul's but so cool. He's so awesome. But uh, yeah, it's just so weird now that you know someone that I'm talking to regularly, and then I'm, of course you're in there too now. C2E2 changed a lot of things, so it just sort of it was really interesting to put all of these these faces to the names and voices that I've been hearing and everything. But um, getting back to what I was saying, yeah, I went back and and I'm, I was thinking, okay, it must have been the Paul Hart show. And then uh, that's the only re- that's the only way I think that I found pop culture leftovers outside of searching maybe something pop culture and they popped up. I'm giving you the full credit for that, sir. <laughs> well, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome because because like Starcast wouldn't exist without me discovering PCL. Sure, and it's it's weird how all these things tumble together, right? Yeah, I mean, like minds, right? Yeah, I mean, because. Like I've been listening to podcasts for years, and I really liked the long format ones because I would listen all day at work, and so yeah, very you know, preferably handy. I wanted to have you know eight nine hours of podcasts lined up, and uh, and so I'd listen to Joe Rogan and Kevin Smith, and both of those guys are famous for encouraging listeners to to go out and start a podcast. But it's one thing hearing it from some you know big huge celebrity like that, and then when I first discovered Pop Culture Leftovers, that was on their Deadpool episode. Oh, okay. And so I was just dying for to hear people discuss Deadpool because I saw it and it blew my fucking mind. And um, 
and I find PCL and they sound so professional and their bumpers, like their iTunes bumper is still one of my favorites on the internet. That thing fucking slays me every time. And I'm so jealous. I'm so jealous of all the bumpers, man. <laughs> and now it's like, and now it's like, you know, I can't go and make one because then it's going to be like, oh, I'm fucking copying them. You know what I mean? <laughs> but so much originality came out of that podcast for sure. Oh, absolutely. And then, and then the way that they would interact with their listeners. And then I'm like, oh, okay. I'm like, these guys sound great. But it also sounds like I'm listening to a group of my friends talking. Like, yeah, I could yes. totally. You know that that's fun. That that does inspire me. It sounds like they're having a lot of fun. And then I also remember the odd episodes where Brian would talk about how it can feel like a job, and sometimes interaction with people on the internet can make you fucking hate it and shit like that. And and so he's I, not lying though. He's not. Yeah. I've gone through that full <laughs> gamut. Whenever people talk, like ask me, like, "Oh, do I want to get a podcast? Oh, that looks like so much fun." I'm like, "Yes," and it's also kind of a job that you don't get paid for too. <laughs> right. Or at least when it's at the hobby level, you know, I mean, as are most of them. Really. Yeah, I mean, you really want to go out there and get a big fan base and a Patreon. That's, that's an awesome way to help your show out. Or if you want to start reading ads for Sattva mattresses or something like that, yeah. that more power to you. That's awesome. Casper mattresses and whatnot. <laughs> Maybe that's more big time, huh? You have to be big time to have a Casper mattress plug. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What I'm with hey, you know what? I'll t- I'll take Shooty's game and run the poop night ad, the poop night <laughs> ad if I have to. If I could say it, that is. Maybe I shouldn't use that one because I can't even say the word right now. Poop knife. There we go. Uh, what a weird thing, right? <laughs> it's like, do you have someone in your household that shits out genuine logs? <laughs> like the water pressure of like an average flush just won't break it in half. <laughs> <laughs> you just see someone standing over the bowl. Like, there's got to be a better way. <laughs> 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 no, the poop knife. Yeah, man. <laughs> hey, you know what? Someone took a shot hoping someone was going to take a shit and it worked. You know? <laughs> Sorry. I'll stop with the dad jokes now. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> so, dude, right before we started recording, we were talking about the fun of um Oh, was that when we were talking about the fun of uh how I- easy it is to injure yourself trying to do any sort of fitness? These days, yeah, that's what we were talking about. It's kind of ridiculous, actually. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I would be the best person to talk about health and fitness right now because I used to be in really good shape, and it just seems like now, whatever I do, I just end up injuring myself within a matter of a couple of weeks. I don't know what's wrong with me. I, I think I'm just trying to, uh, you know, I, I think I'm still thinking that I'm younger than I am. Not that I'm old or anything like that, but I just can't go as hard as I used to. And yes, constant re injury. Yeah, that's exactly where I am as well. Like, like I've even gotten like super irrational thoughts with it too. I'm like, did I like sign some monkey's paw agreement when like a decade ago when I lost over a hundred pounds and got super fit (laughs) and then it was just, you know, Hey, your time's up. Time to be fat again. Injury, 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 craft beer, craft beer, craft beer. (laughs) That craft beer does not help. I'll, I'll be the first to admit that for sure. Dude. I, I thought I, I did not think I was going to be able to cut that out of my life. I was like, oh, no way. Having an alcohol buzz is way too much fun. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, not that I was like being an alcoholic, but I was definitely getting to the point where I I was drinking way more than I should have. And um, it's funny. You go back and listen to some of the older episodes. You can definitely tell in the ones that I'm super drunk. (laughs) Got a little slurry going on. (laughs) (laughs) So do you not drink at all anymore? um, Just on special occasions now. Um, Oh, okay. So when... So I had been going pretty good 
last fall getting back on a fitness routine and then I injured myself in the climbing gym, pulled a tendon in my finger. And so then I had to take like around three months or so off. And so since I wasn't going to be burning the extra calories that I was from doing the climbing a, a couple of few times a week, I decided to cut all of the um, empty calories from drinking out. And so I uh, went from November all the way till Valentine's Day. And on Valentine's Day, I had three mimosas, which gave me a hangover. <laughs> oh, champagne will do that to you, though. I know. It was fucking wicked, dude. Like, I had a hangover before I was going to bed. Yep, that like, sounds right. <laughs> like, it was fucking terrible. And I was like, oh, yep, drinking sucks. And so then I looked at Lynn's and I was like, you know, it's it's a good thing that that this happened before C2E2 so that I don't go to C2E2 and drink a whole lot thinking that, oh, yeah, your tolerance is still really high and then get all fucked up and be stupid. Uh, that being said, I did have like seven vodka Red Bulls that night at the bar and I was fucking feeling pretty good. You were super smiley. I'll say that, man. We didn't get a lot of FaceTime, but I could, I mean, it's not like I tell, oh, yeah, you were fucked up. <laughs> Nothing like that. But I mean, you seemed like you were having a really good time. And um, I think everyone else was as well. I, I definitely wish I could say that I use logic and willpower the way you do, because now would be the time to like just chill on the drinking. You know what I mean? And the empty calories more, more specifically and try to try to battle that when you can't go to the gym and you can't do this and that, and they're telling you to stay inside your homes and everything. But, um, yeah, I'm failing miserably, Joe. <laughs> I'm just going just gonna to be honest with you. I'm actually doing a lot better because, like, just poor diet and poor diet and sedentary behavior has just been my biggest problems recently. Yeah. And I, since all this lockdown shit's going on, I've not been going and getting carry out food even because it's still, I don't know who's cooking this food and what's, yeah. you know exactly what's going on. Are they wearing a mask and all this shit? And so I've been saving, number one, I've been saving lots of money, <laughs> not like, you know, getting fast food or Subway or some shit like that for lunch several days a week. So instead I've been taking my own lunches and, but I've also been eating a lot less calories as a result. Uh, I, I haven't gotten brave enough to step on a scale or anything, but um been going out and walking a lot. And me and the whole family did a really big hike earlier today. And we went out to one of the areas that I used to go rock climbing at a lot called Indian Bluffs and did this big hike through this canyon. And the boys were super stoked about it at the beginning and about half to two thirds of the way through their energy completely wore yeah. out. And it was hilarious. <laughs> How old are they? Uh, they are nine, almost 10 and 12. Oh, okay. So they're not like the little, little ones, though, where the yeah. nap time kicks in about halfway through it. But yeah, I imagine they were probably not super stoked on the way back. Y yeah. Yeah. No, they were. <laughs> what was funny, too, is because when they did get wore out, we were clear down at the bottom of this canyon, like literally on this like little sandy, rocky beach right next to this creek, uh, just sitting in the sun. And they were having their snacks and everything. And I found some really dope fossils, too. On that little oh, nice. But, um, and so then they were talking about, you know, hey, we want to leave. And they really had it in their mind. I had showed them a map from a really old climbing guidebook of the area. And so they really wanted to do this trail called Raccoon. Oh, what the hell is it called? Raccoon something. And they really wanted to do it. And they're like, well, we want to do the Raccoon Trail. I'm like, well, if we do that, then we have to walk a whole bunch that way and then walk up a never end, what will feel like a never ending hill. It, like a fairly low grade, but it goes for a long time. I said, or, and I pointed this hill that's like a 45 degree angle up for like 150 feet, maybe 200 yeah. feet. I'm like, or we do that hill 
and then you're pretty much done with hills. <laughs> so they decided to do that hill, and it was soul-crushing to them. <laughs> <laughs> this seems so much easier when we started. The younger, the, my youngest one, my nine-year-old, just kept repeating our dead dog's name to like give him strength. <laughs> <laughs> it was so adorable. <laughs> He's just like, Emma... Emma, with every step. Emma, I swear if you get me through this, I'm going to be so well-behaved this week. And it's like, I don't know what's up with me. And it's probably just more of my dumb meathead behavior. But I'm like, just like rocketing up this hill. And so I'm getting up and there's like, you know, big boulders, like little faces and stuff sticking out of the hillside. So I'm going up and scrambling on top of that, doing the superhero pose on top while they're all coming up the hill (laughs) underneath me. I got so many pictures, though. It was just a beautiful day out there. Uh, clear blue sky. That's awesome, man. It's glad your family likes to do that kind of stuff together. I mean, my family does as well, but it, now I have a 21-year-old and I have a 17-year-old, basically a 17-year-old. It's very hard to rally everyone together when they once they hit that age because everyone's got their own thing going on and everything. So I'm envious of that, man. I miss it. You know, We used to do stuff like that all the time. It's just harder now that they're older. So oh, it's, yeah, so absolutely. seize every moment. I'm sure you know that, but yeah, just just cherish every moment, man. Yeah, because, I mean, at this point, they're just kind of like rideshare hostages, right? Yeah, pretty much. What are we doing today? (laughs) Our lives are in your hands once again. (laughs) We're going to go walk through the woods. Here's a map to make it exciting for you. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Here's some fossils, kid. Learn something. (laughs) Are they into that? Do they like fossils and geology and stuff like that? Are they at that age or is that anything that that they ever got into? Uh, Yeah, they they think it's pretty cool. But, um, I mean, still, they're, they're totally infected by the you know, cell phones and digital screens and stuff like that. So it's, it's like, we can tear them away from it for a little bit, taking them out in the woods. This summer will be a a better test because that's where we'll be taking them out for like, say we'll go out, you know, best case scenario would be go out after work Friday night, go out in the woods, set up a tent and everything. And then also have like the back of the forerunner set up so they can sleep in that and then camp out overnight and then be in the woods all day Saturday camp out again Saturday and then Sunday morning pack up and head home and then see how they can handle that. They've, they've been able to handle doing out of state vacations, but never just like an hour away from home. Right. And, and that's, yeah. And that's weird. I think, what do you think it is? Do you think it's like the, uh, the road trip that keeps them more involved with it? You know what I mean? Is you have more time on the road, you're seeing more things where you're going someplace that's fairly remote, maybe an hour away and that's it. Do you think maybe that's the, the key to keeping a kid interested is like having more stimulus things to look at and such. And definitely more things to do once you're at that destination. Like, like, you know, when we took them on a, uh, let's see, we went and camped at devil or no, not at devil's lake. It was at governor Dodge in Wisconsin one time. And Wisconsin's a really beautiful state. And this, uh, what is it? Yeah. It's a state park that we went and stayed at called governor Dodge. And there's all these sandstone formations all over the place and it's really really cool looking and there's like you know kind of limited climbing and stuff there it's mostly like bouldering like low to the ground stuff you'd do without a rope and so i'd always heard about the place and wanted to check it out and we went and just did a whole bunch of off-trail hiking and we just found all these different trails around there that we wanted to do and made sure that you know, it was like one trail, like had a waterfall on it and another trail just went past a whole bunch of really neat, um, you know, sandstone structures and stuff like that. And so I think that the trick is to like find lots of little things that 
can turn it into little adventures. And and my wife is really, really good at planning that sort of stuff. And, nice. and also like planning to bring the requisite amount of food for them. <laughs> because I never think of shit like that. Oh, I'm terrible at that kind of shit for sure. Yeah. And so that's where, where Lindsay really rocks it out. And she's always <laughs> ready and prepared and got all that sort of stuff uh, for them. And so this place that we want to – there's a couple places where we can take them out camping. And I think as long as I can just come up with a bunch of different things to keep them occupied, I think I can keep them busy for a weekend and not have them revolting. See, I'm going to have to make sure that my wife, Gail, doesn't listen to this particular show because you're going to make me look really bad, Joe, because <laughs> you want you actually want to be outside and you, <laughs> looking oh, yeah. at, the, you know, you're going to cool places called Devil's This and <laughs> Raccoon That. And I'm just like, well, we should probably get from Netflix to Hulu. Here we go. <laughs> we've, we've arrived. Let's have an adventure. <laughs> at least lately, at least the last three weeks or so. Yeah. Well, Lindsay and I have always been super outdoorsy people. That's awesome. No, that's really cool. I'm, I'm very, uh, I guess envious would be the word. I, you know, obviously I could go out and do these things, but it just, I wasn't really raised in a family that did it a lot. We did go camping uh, on occasion, but, uh, you know, when I became an adult and had a family of my own and everything, like we did the camping stuff when my kid was in Cub Scouts and Weebelows and all that sort of thing. And ever since then, it's kind of dropped off. And I know my wife is a little bitter about it because her family did do all that kind of shit all the time. They would always be camping and going, you know, taking these month long trips across the country and stuff. And quite honestly, I just it's just not in my it's like. What am I trying to say? I guess you could say that it's just not a reflexive thought for me to do something like that. If we're going to go on vacation or something, it's not a reflexive thought for me to go, oh, camping. It just doesn't pop up that way. So I think it took her a little while to get used to that with me. I'm still open to it, but I will admit that I'm a hard sell when I go, hey, you want to go camping? I'm like, you're going to really have to sell me on this one here. I, that's just me. But I think it's really awesome that you guys do that, though, and that you're, you're, you know, you're introducing your kids to this and you're keeping them involved with it because that's something that they'll take with them, you know? That's the hope is to to really in, instill that in them that that as they get older they don't just sequester themselves inside and and just pay attention to digital things that they remember that there is a wild world out there and it, it's it, for me it's a very zen type thing like I I feel like I feel really good right now dude like I feel centered like so much of the sounds of what we heard today was like there's a, a creek that runs through the middle of it. And so like the sound of like water running over rocks. Sure. Yeah, sound for of, sure. Like, you know, really big birds like, ah, you know, like overhead <laughs> and shit and just the wind in the trees and the, the warmth of the sun on your face. And, ah, oh, it's, it's, it's like, that's how I imagine some people must feel when they walk into a church, you know, they just get that immediate feeling of calm. Right. That this is a Those good, comfort sounds. Yeah, and and so that's what nature is, and for me, and and for I'd say the same for Lindsay too. I mean, we always that's always been our jam. Like like when we did our honeymoon, we went to Colorado and just spent a week hiking. Oh, that's cool! <laughs> and, Very cool, and, and doing mountain stuff because um, I I'd been and seen the mountains once, and I don't think she'd ever seen them. And so that was that was super cool. I mean, we're always doing the nature thing, but I mean, I also I draw a line. Where it's like, I love nature and I love the outdoors, but there's uh, there comes a point where camping can just be fucking misery. And it's not yeah. fun at all. To do. See, I've caught a lot of that, Joe. I've oh, caught Jesus. a lot in my day. And I, totally I I'd get probably that. blame myself for it, but still, you know, it, I, I definitely have had some <laughs> some interesting camping experiences. But please, you're, you're on the positive tip. Please continue because I like where you're going. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, 
can't, like if it's super fucking humid out or if it just starts raining nonstop, then it's like, okay, camping can suck a fat dick. This is stupid. Let's go someplace <laughs> where, where there's modern amenities. Like, so I would say that it, at, honestly, I'm, I'm far more of a fair weather camper. Um, Dude, I remember this one time, Lindsay and I went out and we went to this place where we were developing a, a new rock climbing area. And we we would occasionally go in and we'd pick a line that we wanted to bolt. So we'd have to, you know, put the hangers in the rock face and you, yeah. you'd do it on rappel and everything. And so we, it was really fun to go out and do it at night, which seems really freaky that you got all this stuff on, you're just tied to a tree and then you're just stepping backwards into inky darkness because, <laughs> you know, I mean, if it's not lit by the moon or by your headlamp, you're not seeing it. Right. But it was kind of cool because then it's, it's it goes back to that that Zen state I was talking about, where now it's like you get all these nature sounds, but now the world only exists as much as what you can see right in front of you. And when you look off to the sides, it's like you might see some tree branches and stuff in the distance. You might see like moths, moths and stuff like that flying through your headlamp. And um, you know, so so we went out to do that. And while I was bolting this route, and Lindsay was just chilling on the ground. Under me, she's getting attacked by fucking June bugs because they're all coming into her lamp. Uh, <laughs> ugliest fucking bug that ever oh, existed, God, by the way. So she's down there just smashing June bugs, rocks, and screaming about it and stuff. And then it starts raining. And then we got to do the whole hike back to the tent. And it's through like chest high weeds that now are all soaked and we are soaked. And then we get back to the tent and the tent's soaked. You're like, ah, this is where we need to be. <laughs> yeah. It's like, dude, if we could teleport to a fucking hotel room or home right now. Uh, yeah, I'm the worst, man. Like, give me – I'm terrible. Give me like a big RV and, <laughs> and park me by the beach somewhere and I'm good to go. Honestly, I'm not that bad. I'm, I'm actually putting a little bit of jest on it. But <laughs> I think I think what it is with me is it's like a self-starting thing. Like, if you can get me up there, I can totally appreciate everything that you're talking about. I'm not going to sit there and, and poo-poo the whole weekend. I'm really going to try to get involved with it. And I love – you know, once I'm there – this, the thought of hiking is actually really fun to me. It's the whole thought of, hey, you want to – like Gail constantly wants to go hiking. She's a matter of fact, right before we started recording, she's like, can we go t- tomorrow? I'm like, I got to do this. As, as, as uh, shut in as we are, I still have a lot of things going on. But I did promise her next week. So that will be my first uh, quest out into the outdoors for quite some time, hiking especially. But like I said, once I'm there, I'm totally into it. You know, I, I can really appreciate – just like you're saying, the sounds and just – looking at nature that's around you rather than just being you know stuck inside or you know I work in a hospital so I'm and I work a lot so I'm constantly under fluorescent lights and I think that there's something super therapeutic about getting out there into nature and just removing yourself from everything that that normally surrounds you I think it does something it's very it's very uh you know it's like soothing to your soul if you will and it's it's kind of I don't know man I just think I think it just makes people there's a word I'm looking for and it's not coming to me right now but I it's I think that it just makes people better to kind of get away from everything that's your norm, get out there and start respecting the earth and respecting nature that's around you. I think that that does something to people. It's not for everyone, of course. And like I'm saying, it's not something that I'm just always going to try and sell you on. But if you can get me up there, yeah, for sure. I'm totally into it. Yeah, it's like a total reset button. Totally. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. It's, just a, it's like a cleanse. Yeah, so <laughs> that was my morning and I fucking loved it, dude. <laughs> that's dope. You know, uh, we went to Hawaii on our honeymoon, and we were in nice. Maui, Maui more specifically. And that's <laughs> it's that that's not the last time I enjoyed nature, but that was something that was so eye opening to me. You know, you're you're stuck on this island, 
I didn't feel stuck at all. But I mean, it's just, you know, if you're there, there's no way there's, you're not going across any bridges to another Island or anything like that. Let's make the most of this Island. So we, we really explored it. We tried to stay away from all the, like, like there's a place called Lahaina. That's a very touristy area. There's a place called Whalers village, very touristy. Yes. We went there. We did the luau thing. And, uh, what else did we do? It was like, um, uh, uh, parasailing, you know, that kind of stuff. But once we got away from all that and just started exploring the Island, man, that was like my favorite part of it. That's, that's stuff that I'll never forget. Just, seeing this type of nature that i'm just not gonna see in my normal everyday life and just really appreciate it man yeah now damn it joe now i'm going camping right after we get out of here i'm gonna pack the family up we're fucking going camping screw it (laughs) got nothing else to do what sort of like um uh like what sort of geography do you have around you that you would go hiking in uh well we're well, it's closed right now, of course, but we're fairly close to Yosemite. We're about two hours away from Yosemite. Oh, uh, dude, you're only two hours away from Yosemite? Two hours away, and you would be surprised how often we don't go. But yeah, two hours away. It's 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 crazy. I mean, oh my god, dude, that's that's on me and Lindsay's list to go to Yosemite someday. And well, if you're shit. only two hours away, come on out, man. We'll go with you. <laughs> the hell and then yeah. And then you're going to be like, oh, you really were full of shit. You don't know any of this stuff, do you, Dan? <laughs> Nature, my ass. No, but uh, yeah, it's two hours away. And we'll be like, we're going to do the cable route to, to the top of Half Dome. How does that sound? <laughs> you guys will be he, like, fuck you. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm actually, Steve and I, uh, Steve and I talk a lot. Of, we, we're always talking about something. We should do this. We should do that. But that was something that we talked about not too long ago. Yes. And I'm uh, loving that, that episode. Yeah, because uh, Steve and his family went to Yosemite. Correct. Yeah, yeah they went the there. And, on Facebook. It looked fucking incredible. Yeah, they were hanging out in the village, I think. The village is like sort of your your 101 if you're not really into really exploring Yosemite because you have a little bit of everything there. Plus, you can do a little bit of shopping. The family has a place to eat. There's this general store and whatnot. But once you start really getting into the to that, you know, the, the wilderness part of it, man, it's um, – God, it's a beautiful place. You know, I, I've never actually camped in Yosemite before, but – that is – it's crazy to say that. I'm two hours away and I've never camped in Yosemite. But that's definitely something that's on the bucket list just because it's so freaking beautiful up there. And, of course, now that we can't go is now I've been thinking about it like we should really get – like my family just wants to go somewhere. And it's like, well, you can't go here. You can't go there. But Yosemite is something that's going to be on the list real soon. It's so nice up there. But let me tell you what. There are people that I know that have gone and done the Half Dome thing and they've told me some crazy stories like – I think you can appreciate this more being that you rock climb, but there are people that are doing that in flip-flops. That's wild to me. <laughs> flip-flops, dude. I'm walking around in flip-flops in like Walmart. I'm, ugh, I'm out. You know what I mean? I'm going to slip. I'm going <laughs> to hit my head on some Tide detergent or something like that. But um, yeah, it's crazy. Like people just the, – the I guess – what do they say? I think we lose one to two people a year from doing really boneheaded shit like that. Um, yeah, probably. I'm not, yeah, for sure. No, it's it's totally true. We we do that, but that really doesn't bother me at all. That sounds like something that I would really, really like to do. So, damn it, get your ass to California and let's do this. Oh, it's gonna happen, dude. Nice. <laughs> it's someday, someday. This is going down because I mean, that's Yosemite's been a big one on Lindsay and me's list for a, for a really long time, and. I don't know. One of my friends was trying to talk me into doing some route that goes up Half Dome or something like that. And I was like, ha fuck that. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I have no, I have no desire to do multi-pitch climbing. It, unless it's like I'm going up with like a guide, like somebody that's super experienced at it. And I'm just the bonehead, just top roping and following him along and just making sure that I don't drop anything. Is it safe I- to say... Is it safe to say that we won't be getting any uh, free solo action from you anytime soon? No. No, dude. Oh, my God. Free solo. 
Alex That's Honnold so- is freaking amazing. When so when I first got into climbing in 2009, my my friend uh, my friend Jeff gave me this climbing video, this DVD called Progression, and mm-hmm. it has a section in it talking about Alex Honnold and showing him climbing, and then I think it was over in England. And he was like free solo and shit over there and climbing with a couple other pros. They were climbing on this super scary type of rock in England called Gritstone. And like the English climbers over there have got fucking balls of steel because they have this real strict ethic where they'll, they won't put like bolts in the rock. They'll only use like natural protection and shit. And sometimes it's like marginal at best, like a crack that you might be able to slide like a number two pencil into. And they're like putting like a little like nut in there with a wire on it and then clipping the rope to that wire and then climbing past it. <laughs> wow. And so, so Honnold's been on my radar for a long time and I, I love that free solo blew up the way it did. And so many people got to, to see what that guy can do because for years, I mean, me and, you know, so many other people in the climbing community are thinking, you know, this guy is accomplishing some of the greatest shit that human that a human being has ever done of that we or has ever done that we know of. Yeah, he's pushing the limitations of a human capability to the max, man. That, that was one of the most fascinating things about that movie was just watching, thinking this guy could die any second. You know, <laughs> that's yeah. just, I mean, obviously, obviously, you know, it's not going to happen because they have this movie that's out. But still, it's the, the chance of it being it totally could have happened. Oh, and that's yeah. the craziest part about it. Yeah. Well, and and see, and then. Being a climber and like knowing the range of emotions that you can go through on a climb and knowing that you know, like you're still going through some of those fear emotions that you experience, but also knowing that you're on a super solid rope with super solid gear, your harness is good, your belayer is good, everything was double checked before you left the ground. You you know the worst that's going to happen is you're going to fall and, and you're not going to do the route. That just means you're going to have to start it over from the ground and, and try and get from the ground to the top without falling to be able to put that little check mark next to it. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. And But with him doing it like that, it's like he the amount of mental control that he needs to be able to shut off all of those totally normal human emotions and thoughts. Like your brain is supposed to be telling you, what the fuck are you doing? This is a super dangerous situation. You shouldn't be here. You shouldn't be here. But he's able to just not hear that voice. And just stay really calm. And that that is the other part of, of just this guy's character that is so incredible to me. I mean, the fact that he's able to do these accomplishments is one thing. But the fact that he, that he has this superhuman mental control, I mean, that almost needs to be studied in itself. Like, can that shit be replicated? Right. He definitely struck me as someone that's – he's tuning into a different frequency. You know what I mean? He's just on a completely different channel than most of the people that surround him. And, and that's the thing that – you know, like I, I know that I only saw, I saw it a long time ago. Sorry, I'm stammering. But what I was trying to say is that you kind of get that vibe from his girlfriend and the people that knew him. Like, yeah, he's just a, he's a bit of a different character, but the guy knows what the hell he's doing and he's just so dedicated at it. And you have to be. I really think you have to be to to push to the limits like that in anything you do, be it music or just rock climbing, weightlifting, anything like that. Being a, a football player, a basketball player, there are certain people that are able to tap into a different frequency and push themselves to this this limit that most people can't go. And it's freaking awesome. Kobe was one of those people, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Just like the like kind of like a once in a generation athlete yeah. that comes along and just raises the bar in such a way that it, it makes you look at it and say, well, how the fuck did he do that? <laughs> Good genetics, I guess, man, but it's pretty awesome. Something like that. Yeah. 
let me ask you this. Yes, sir. Would you would you ever do anything like go to like say climb Mount Everest? Is that anything that's ever been on your uh, no. bucket list? No way, no way in hell. Because <laughs> again, you got to be fucking crazy. There's these yeah, people that will do these things. Crazy. Yeah, the, the I knew thing this. That pisses me off about Everest also is that the the business aspect of it that there's all these guide companies where it's like if you have enough money you can pay these tens of thousands of dollars for the permits pay tens of thousands of dollars to the guiding company so that there actually is a pro climber that's along there with you and is making sure you get to the top. They've got, you know, Sherpas that they've paid to fix lines at the beginning of the season that go from base camp to base camp. They've got ladders that go over the crevasses through the, through the ice fall and all that shit. And these people are paying a lot of money and they're getting to the top of the world, assuming that, you know, they get a weather window and everything works out. Uh, sometimes they're dying and they're, they're staying there forever. They just become a frozen fixture on the mountain. Yes. And, but the thing I don't like about all that is that, okay, that's all well and good that you have the money and the drive and, and I guess the balls to go and do it, but it should you, because in my mind, it's like, okay, if you're going to make this claim that, Oh, I climbed the, the top of the, the world's tallest mountain it's like that's you just did like a really high stakes game of bowling with bumpers in, <laughs> in the fucking gutters you know it's like you had fixed lines going all the way to the top it's like yeah you had to do a really long dangerous walk through very thin area to dry, dry, uh, breathe bottled oxygen but all this shit was set up for you and then how much garbage did you leave on the mountain when you were done how many bodies were left as a result did any of these sherpas die i mean these sherpas they come from a nation that are just absolutely impoverished there's this really fantastic documentary that i really urge people to go and watch and it's called sherpa and it's kind of highlights all these struggles that these people in nepal are going through because mostly they're just poor farmers but if they go and they learn how to climb and they work for one of these guide companies and they, you know, do any number of jobs on the side of the mountain from porter to, you know, setting lines going up at the beginning of the season and all that, they can make a shitload of money. And so a lot of these young men are drawn into this very, very dangerous profession that should they be doing this? Should they be being required to do this? And they also look at the mountain as, as something sacred as well. So in right. a way, they're kind of giving the finger to the, their ancestors by doing this, which is kind of heavy for them as well. And this documentary is, is really, really good. Um, and so Sherpa. I've always had, I got to check that out. Yeah. And, and so I've always had really mixed feelings about Everest in particular. But for me personally, climbing, uh, the only thing I ever wanted to do was just like bouldering which is and sticking low to the ground at that, <laughs> like not doing tall bouldering yeah, or, or sport climbing where it's like, I'm on a rope, I'm on concrete anchors that are, that are put into the wall and I'm, I've done everything I can to make it so that I'm not going to like injure myself. Um, cause back when I was climbing all the time, I had a really physical job to where it's like, man, if I would have broken my leg back then, like I, I'd have probably been really fucked financially. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Like I had a job to say the least, yeah. Just like carrying around fifty pound boxes all day and like getting like you know five miles a day in of walking and shit like that. And it's like, yeah, how are you going to do that with a broken leg, you dummy? And so I always tried to stick to the, the climbing pursuits that weren't that dangerous. And and those climbers that climb those those mountains like that, it's called they're called al uh, alpinists. And from what I've read in the alpinist community is that if you know enough alpinists, then you have dead friends. 
because there's so many different <laughs> ways to die on a mountain. Yeah. And also, it's like, I'm in Iowa. It's easy for me to go do single pitch sport climbing or bouldering. We have lots of cliff bands that are less than 50 feet tall, but I'd have to go like clear to the front range in Colorado if I were to want to like climb a mountain or something like that. I knew a radiologist that I used to work with that actually did the Everest trip. I don't know if he made it all the way to the top. We weren't that close, but I did, you know, I was working with him in one uh, procedure one time and he was talking about that. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, he glamorized it a lot more than what you just did. I, you know, I'm ignorant to it. I'll be honest. I'll be the first person to admit that. So, you know, you telling me that all of this stuff, like the Sherpas setting all that up is probably common knowledge to a lot of people. But for me, I, I really don't have any type of rock climbing knowledge. So I'm thinking this dude's just a man. He's like, <laughs> he's putting all this stuff in himself and just handling it. But yeah, you sort of, you sort of burst the bubble on that one. I think, uh, it, it opened my eyes up a little bit. I mean, I'm not taking away the guy's, uh, uh, credit of climbing Everest or I don't know if he made it to the top or not. Is that something that, that do they document that if people make it to the top? Is there like a list of the people that have, or is this yeah. just something that you do? Okay. So, you know, I should probably check it out and see. But I know that he was there, and I just remember him talking about that, about all the dead bodies. That was the first time anyone ever put that on my radar, that you could very well walk past a dead body that's just not ever coming back down, you know? and Dude, they use very- landmarks. Yeah. And it's like, okay, there's like Green Boots Cave because some <laughs> European alpinist freaking wearing green mountain boots died in that cave, and these bright green boots are sticking out. Wow. Or some shit Dude. like that, and it's like... But then the other thing is people are like, well, how can you not get them down? And it's like, okay, well, the air is so thin up there that you can barely breathe. So that means, I mean, just the, I mean, I trivialized it earlier saying it's a difficult walk, but I mean, it is, it's like, it's a difficult walk. It's, it's, you're just trudging uphill. You're trying to take breaths of oxygen, but the air is so thin that you can't get good oxygen. And so it like muddies your thinking. Everything slows down. It gets really, really difficult to take steps. Now imagine trying to do all that and control the descent of a body down a snow slope. Yeah. And also if that body was there long enough to where its body temperature dropped all the way down and then froze, it's now frozen to the ground. Like, have you ever tried to move a, like a frozen stick off the ground or anything like that in winter? <laughs> yeah. We got his torso. His legs are still there. Oh, Torso's good, though, guys. <laughs> <laughs> he went right. That's so fucking If dark. I'm being real. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nasty. Sorry. Should have just left him. <laughs> we could still call it Green Boots Lane or whatever it was. <laughs> Green Boots Cave. Because those are still there, guys. We're all right. <laughs> there, there's a, a really entertaining reality show that was called Everest into the extreme, maybe something like that. I'll have to, mm-hmm. I'll have to Google it and double check it. Um, but it, it followed this guide company that was taking some people up the mountain. So it showed the whole experience that, you know, they fly into Kathmandu and then they got to do this big, huge fucking hike over several days to get to base camp. And then from base camp, they then, um, they have to go through this process of, acclimatizing to the elevation. And so they'll like, you know, hike up to the, the first base camp or hike up to camp number one or two, or do one of the, the, the shorter mountains that's to either side of Everest. There's like Lotse and then I don't know, some other one. Um, but they'll do all these little hikes. And then once they're acclimatized, then they can start doing the big pushes and try and get over Everest. And it's all dramatized and shit. And there's this one like motorcycle meathead dude that like fucking breaks his hand on the way up the mountain and doesn't tell anybody. Cause he knows that if he tells them that they're going to be like, uh, yeah, you're going back down. And so he yeah, you got to bounce him. buddy. He doesn't tell him until he's on his way down when his hand is completely fucking useless. And then I think he goes 
blind from the fucking altitude also or some shit. Jesus. Uh, that sounds like a lot of fun. No. Nah, nah, <laughs> if you watch the show and you, you're like, oh, I still want to go do Everest. It's like, you're an asshole. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> so do you think that's really like the – I mean I, I'm hearing everything that you're saying. But is that really like the biggest part of it? You think it's just the elements, battling the elements and the lack of oxygen and all that? You think that's what makes it the most difficult? Dude, you, I mean you might as well be on the surface of the moon. I mean there could be people down in base camp and if like a really terrible storm comes in and it's whiteout conditions and you're up in the death zone and you run out of oxygen, your brain's just going to shut off and you're going to die. There could yeah. be people down on the ground like looking at you as like a little red speck up on the side of the mountain through a telescope and there's nothing they can do. If they were to say, send another team of climbers up to rescue you, they could potentially be putting them in danger. What, what if three people on the rescue team die trying to bring your sorry ass back down? Probably shouldn't have gone there in the first place or that's true. Or those people that go there, I think that they really have to have a come to Jesus moment and realize that they are going into a place where, there, there's, there's no mommy and daddy that can swoop in and, and pick you up out of trouble. There, it's, this isn't the movies where they're going to bring some high altitude helicopter in and pull you off. Those helicopters can only go so far up before the air's too thin, and there's, there's nothing to give that helicopter lift. So there's like a top end on how high fucking helicopters can go. And have, have you watched that movie? I think it's, it might be called Everest. Where it shows this day where this really bad storm came in and several people died on the mountain. I think I have seen that movie. It's been a long – it came out like maybe 10 years ago or something like yeah, that. It's not, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not a feel-good watch. No, but I do remember that movie. Yeah, that, and, and that like kind of lays out a, a lot of what can go wrong. And it was like – that was like one of the guys that like owned the fucking guide company. Like this was a guy who had gone up and summited Everest multiple times fucking died on the side of it. Yuck. Like, who's the first person to go, you know what? I'm going to climb that motherfucker. One of these days, I'm going to get up there. I'm going to climb this motherfucker. And I'm going to put everybody in jeopardy. Oh, maybe he didn't know that part yet. He or she. I imagine it was uh, probably a guy that was back then. But do you know who the first person was? I know who the first person who actually summited it was. That was uh, Sir Edmund Hillary. Yeah, what an asshole, right? And I believe his uh, Sherpa's name was Tenzing Norgay. I could be wrong about that. But Tenzing just hated him. Just hated him, I'm sure. <laughs> well, <laughs> if you watch that Sherpa documentary, it'll really get into showing when when Edmund Hillary came down, he basically went on like a fucking rock star tour around the world with everybody, you know, fucking blowing him for, for climbing Everest. Multiple other people on his team died in the attempt. He was kind of the lucky guy to make it to the top. Mm. Um, and so meanwhile, he's like staying in the fucking White House and they have Tenzing Norgay like sleeping in like the fucking garage because it's like, oh, you're, you're just the brown guy that carried his backpack up to the top. Fuck. That's yeah, not surprising. It, it's and so, you know, that's that's part of. He's yeah. a Sherpa. This is nice for him. Yeah. But because of the way that Sherpas are, it's like he, he just th- there are people that they like wear positivity on their sleeve. Yeah, And so when you watch this documentary, there was actually an incident that happened on the mountain where some of the younger Sherpas got really pissed off about what was going on and like a big fucking riot broke out. And um, there was actually – it was a pro climber from Sweden. He's actually dead now. But his name was Uli Steck, the Swiss machine. The guy was mm. fucking incredible. You look him up on YouTube and you can see him soloing the north face of the Eiger. And Jesus. he did it in like under two hours or so he's basically racing up this fucking thing and, um, uh, climbed with Alex Honnold, uh, on simul climbing, uh, simul climbing the nose in Yosemite to practice for it. 
it's pretty cool. There's um, uh, one of the big up production films uh, uh, covers it. It was probably, there's a series called Real Rock. That if you get on uh, Red Bull TV, there's like a a series called Real Rock where you can see a lot of this stuff as well. That's really good. Um, I'm learning all kinds of stuff. I had no idea there was a Red Bull TV. <laughs> I do a, do a damn show about pop culture. Never in my life have heard of Red Bull TV. <laughs> it's free. <laughs> You're opening my eyes, man. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, Uli Steck and there was a couple other climbers with him. Maybe it was one other climber and then like a um, a videographer or something. That was They were trying to pioneer a new free route up Everest. So they weren't going to use the fixed lines. And they were trying to do it early in the season and they were told not to go over the Sherpas that were there fixing the lines for the beginning of the season. Now, in with these younger Sherpas, there was also like a level of pride going into it of like, you know, yeah, all these Westerners are coming here to climb our mountain, but they're only able to do it because we put these lines, these ropes to the top. We, we're the sure. ones who climb our mountain. And then you got these pros that are literally sprinting past them. They're not even using ropes you know? <laughs> because these guys are le- le- legit alpinists. These are guys that they don't have a siege mentality like people in Edmund Hillary's day had of taking several days to go up the mountain and having some poor asshole that's carrying a fucking stove on his back so that you can have your fucking, <laughs> you know, your fucking flapjacks or whatever you have that's giving you strength with your, you know, like flapjacks and a quail egg or some shit. <laughs> <laughs> wow, man. And so this alpinist style is pack light. Move fast, get to the top, get down before any sort of window closes and then danger comes rushing in. Yeah, they're into the race, not the marathon. Yeah, and so they moved up over the Sherpas and I guess they knocked some ice down, which then came down and bounced off the Sherpas and they didn't like that. And then over the radio, they... They like went over and I was actually talking to the lead Sherpa fixing the line and then that guy's radio was on. But then the two people were arguing with each other and the guy said something insulting in whatever uh, dialect the Sherpa speak. And so then it went over the radio and then all these Sherpa heard this guy like insult the guy's family or some shit. Called him a motherfucker, which is like you do not call a fucking Sherpa person motherfucker. It's like the worst thing you can say and this guy just casually threw it out at him. Some French dude. And so – by the time they get down to base camp, there's like fucking 200 Sherpas that are ready to murder these fucking three climbers. And like they came away pretty bloodied. Like they were throwing rocks through their fucking tents and everything. And so it's kind of like reached a tipping point with the Sherpas where there was a season where a whole bunch of them died because of avalanches. And then that shit happens. And then they're saying they're not getting paid enough. Again, it's all covered in that Sherpa documentary. Sherpa rights. I'm going to check that out. Do you know what it's on? Is that the one that's on Red Bull? It might have been on Prime. It might have been, let me let me check Just Watch right now and I'll find out. I'm actually happy for you to do that because it sounds really interesting. And guess what? I have a whole bunch of time on my hands to watch stuff. <laughs> Everybody does. <laughs> I don't know if you heard. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you heard what's going on in the news. Oh, that's Yeah, fantastic. Amazon Prime, man. If I have that, I, then I'm definitely going to check it out. I just fat-fingered it and, and searched Derpa. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even have a fat-finger excuse. I just can't type on a phone whatsoever. Facebook, every single post I make is wrong. Twitter, fuck Twitter because I can never edit. Yeah, I'm just the worst. And you'd think that I'd you think at this point you'd be able to, you know, look at what you're at your, what you're texting and go, okay, that's right. Nope, not me. I just hit send, and then I'm I'm instantly uh, either insulting somebody or just completely missing the mark from misspelling. Okay, it's not actually streaming for free anywhere right now, but you can you can rent it or buy it. Unfortunately, 
That's cool. I'll do that. Sherpa. Done. It's from it's from 2015. So a fairly newer documentary, hour and a half. Um, yeah, good stuff. And it covers that whole mob of angry Sherpa story that I just talked about. That shit was intense, dude. I remember reading about that like as it happened, like reading about it on a climbing forum and being like, what? People wanted to kill Uli Steck? <laughs> He's like such a cool guy. <laughs> Not to the Sherpas. <laughs> no, they were fucking pissed. <laughs> so someone was just like, look at these motherfuckers. They, they heard them say something like that and yeah, so, on the radio? Yeah, so like, like you yelled like, back off, motherfucker, or something like that. And They're like, oh, it's they, on. They weren't having it. And yeah, pretty fucking crazy shit. It's, it's weird what kind of – you, you – you, yeah, yeah. Let me see if I can start that thought over. You wouldn't <laughs> think there'd be that level of drama at the fucking attic of the world, right? Yeah. No. Humans are assholes. We'll find a way. Hey, you're not fucking wrong there, dude. <laughs> we will find a way. You know what? Speaking of humans are assholes. Oh, I love this subject. Let's go. <laughs> so this place we went hiking, it was about an hour away from home. So we had an hour drive coming back. And on the way back, we saw, I believe, three large gatherings of people. It's like, you fucking dumbasses. What are you doing? I don't understand it. I mean, I know I won't get political, but I know that there's certain, you know, reasons why some people just feel like they need to go out and everything. But uh, yeah, I don't get it. I don't get it at all. I'm happy to say that I'm in California and for some reason we, we seem to be doing better than most. You know, we're, we're, we'll see how that changes over the next week or so. I hear that this, the numbers are going to get crazy, but it seems like California and Washington are doing something right. We're actually keeping our numbers I don't want to say low because they're nowhere near low, but I mean, you know, you get three, four, five, that's too many, <laughs> you know, you know what I'm saying though. Oh yeah. But, uh, but yeah, it's out there. I've heard, I've heard people saying that. Um, I know that in Los Angeles, they have these, um, these farmers markets. They have them everywhere, of course, but in Los Angeles, there was these farmers markets and it was just like a regular day, day out at the fair or something like that. People are just walking around, touching all the food and it's, it's, um, I don't know what's wrong with people, man. I can't figure them out. It's like, do you just want to push the boundaries just to see if you can? Is that the, is that, that one thing? You know how like little kids, they have that uh, action and consequence thing that they have to figure out when they're very young? If I, if I push this, it's going to break. Yeah, fuck it. I'm going to push it anyway. You know, that kind of thing. No, that and I'm thinking me. that's – yeah, me too. But I'm thinking that people just don't get out of that or – I don't understand it, man, because it's just wild to see so many people still going to church and going to – you know, farmers markets, like I said, or anything. I mean, shit, if I don't have to go to the grocery store, I'm not going to. I've really been trying to make it a point to, to stay inside without, you know, I got to go to work, of course. And yeah. I, I think I have, an, I have enough going on when I go to my work where I'm dealing with that shit anyway. Like, you know, in, in healthcare, you're just, you're already, it's like just jumping into the Petri dish. <laughs> so oh, I try oh, not, I, I really try to minimize what I do. Maybe that's why, I, I don't know. I, I don't think I've quite figured out this whole, you know, being inside thing yet, but I think that that's why I choose not to really go out and do anything extra is just because I'm already in the heart of it. What, what's the point? My son, he works in a grocery store. He's in the heart of it. So we've got enough cross-contamination going on where we have to be very careful about that. But no, I'm to, to get back to what you were saying, I just don't understand why people are doing this, man. Yeah, it's, it's just human stupidity, I think. It's – you know, there is a certain – a certain sexiness in in going against what you're told. I mean, that's why they say that that um, isn't that the biggest argument for like legalizing all the drugs is that okay? There's going to be an adjustment period, and then after that, it's just going to be oh yeah, that's just one of those things. It's not a it's not taboo anymore, so it's not sexy. Nobody's telling me not to do it, so now I I don't feel like I should do it. 
Yeah, I mean, they've been we've been touching on this in the movies forever. The the girl that likes the bad boy, you know, there's always the person that wants the the rebel that yeah. wants to go against it. So I think that's just something that's in our our human makeup that. I'm sure there's something I'm – not, I'm not like this boring square guy. I'm sure there's something that I do where it's like, eh, I probably shouldn't, but I do it anyway. So I think we all have that just a little bit, but it's just some people tend to take it to that extreme level. You know what? Fuck it. I'm going to fight a pandemic now. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not like – I'm not going to like sneak out of my car in the middle of the night and pee in an alley and, and risk getting in trouble for that. That's that's one thing. You know, When you, when you got to go, you got to go. But nah, I'm going to fucking dive head into a pandemic and just see what happens. That's That's wild to me. Fuck around and catch that filthy Rona. Don't fuck around and get the Rona. You can't do that. <laughs> How are you guys doing with that? I mean, as far as uh, I know that you, you know, you're still going out and everything like we were just talking about, but being, you know, forced to sort of stay home most of the time. How's your household dynamic doing? It's it's really kind of the same. I mean, this is other than when we would go out and do like a hike like that on the weekend. We're yeah, we're mostly kind of homebodies anyway. Yeah, me too. I think it's really easy when you're already sort of when you're already sort of like that. Like I had a uh, was working at another place. I had two jobs at one point and I lost my job. And uh, for a while, I just kind of went, I turned into a shut-in. I was kind of bummed out, a little bit depressed, and I, I stayed inside way longer than I should have. And I don't know if doing that kind of primed me for this because they weren't too far apart. And um, so I'm, I'm sort of used to it. It's just now I think we're all getting a little bit punchy just because we are we live in a fairly small house. I mean, it's not like an apartment or anything, but it's, it's a smaller home. And I think that just Four, you know, near adults, three adults and one near adult being right on top of each other all the time. You know, you, you have to try to figure out a way to give yourself a little bit of space. So, I mean, I would say that we're 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 processing this pretty well. But there are those times where you just feel like, oh, man, I'm just glad that I even though I have to go and do what I'm about to do at work. It's nice to be out a little bit and just move around a little bit more. Yeah, it's um, starting tomorrow. I'll be working from home. And ah, you finally going remote, huh? Uh, yeah, and so I, I got, I got my <laughs> my computer from my office. I was able to bring it home. So, woohoo! Mm. <laughs> we'll see how it goes, though. But uh, Lindsay and I were talking about that. She's like, you know, she would be used to being home alone during the day, where it'd just be her and the cats, and that was kind of like her time to decompress. And then the boys aren't at school, so now they're home every day. And now, pretty soon. I'm going to be home all day. I mean, I'll, I'll be at like for the work day, I'll just be sequestered in my room. <laughs> and, yeah. You know, so I'd be, but you know, she'll see me on breaks when I need to go to the bathroom and stuff like that. Or when I come out and grab a coffee. So, I mean, it will be a little bit different. I mean, but for the most part, we're, we're pretty used to spending a lot of time around each other. Um, I can tell it's definitely helps to get the boys out of the house as much as possible because they're just doing the sibling thing. Where, you know, oh, here's a button. Let me push it. Yeah, let me just pick at this guy for a while. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, lots of little pissing matches like that going on. But, you know, nobody's gotten shanked yet. So that's good. Yeah. <laughs> keep the shanks away. Don't teach them how to make them. Keep the toothbrushes, you know, keep them away so they're not filing them down or anything like that. Exactly. There, there's <laughs> been no improvised weapons like found hidden in a mattress or anything yet. So. <laughs> Hey, man, if I may, and I'm sorry, this may not be too podcasty, but it was, I got to say, as much as it was a pleasure meeting you as, uh, meeting you at C2E2, it was a pleasure meeting Lindsay as well. You have a fantastic wife, man. Great Thank couple. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yes, she, she is my best friend. She's my favorite person in the world. As it should be, right? I agree. You know, it, there were people that, you know, you see things where it's like, oh, fuck, now I have to be home around my 
I have to be home around the fucking wife all day because of fucking quarantine. Yeah. It's like, it's like, you're fucked from the get-go, dude. And if, that, <laughs> if that's the way you're thinking, you're fucked from the get-go. From a quarantine. Yeah. <laughs> Goddamn coronavirus. That person sound. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you went very specific right there. <laughs> I did. <laughs> like, get off it's me, like, Paul. You're crushing my smokes. Do you ever watch Bill Burr's stuff? You know what? I, I yes, but not enough to really like talk Bill Burr. And everyone's always like, "Why are you not watching Bill Burr?" So yes, but no, dude. That guy that he's been one of my favorite stand-ups for like close to a decade now. And so a, a lot of his specials bleed together. Right? I don't really remember specifically which one this is from, but he has this thing where he's like talks about he's discovered a weakness in his act where every time he needs to do a voice of a stupid person, he uses a southern accent. <laughs> which he knows is bullshit because you know there's smart people and dumb people everywhere you go of course of course so he has this bit about how if albert einstein had a southern accent nobody would have taken it seriously <laughs> the fuck is this guy <laughs> exactly it was, it's like a equals mc squared okay <laughs> I mean, seriously why is that so why funny. do we why do we associate that accent with not being intelligent. Do you I, think that just has to do with like old movies where it's like, you know, get him, get him, and it's okay, balls, I'm going to get him. And that's, that's where the it, first thing I go to as well is that, yeah. is it just gross misrepresentation in pop culture? For totally. A long I, time? I think that's what it is. I mean, how many times did you hear like back in the day, we don't take kindly to people like you around here, you know, that kind of thing? Oh, totally. And that's, and I know that that truly exists out there. But like you said, Stupidity and ignorance is everywhere. It's just so funny how we automatically go to that one, though. Maybe that's because, I mean, quite honestly, nowadays it could be a PC thing, and we've yeah. just sort of programmed we've sort of programmed ourselves to, you know, we, uh, you know what I'm saying, without getting into it. But <laughs> you know, I just like, you know what, Dan, just shut up, just just change the subject <laughs> now before we go down a road you don't want to. But I remember years maybe ago, that's what it is. Years ago, I had to go to Jonesboro, Arkansas, and learn how to do window tinting for cars. Uh huh. And while I was down there, I met this guy that was working at the shop that was like one of the most like hardcore, like hillbilly southern redneck dudes that I've ever met in my life. And I'll never forget him as a result just because he was so out there. Like he was yeah. like a fucking cartoon character. Like there were some sentences that he would say where I would pick up only maybe like 30% of the words in it. But, like, the guys over there kind of knew what he was talking about, and so I'd just kind of, like, be watching them and then also watching him. And he was talking about all the different times he's been shot, and he showed us, like, two different bullet holes in his fucking stomach. And he's like, I got an AK out in the fucking trunk of my car. You gonna <laughs> see it? John, <laughs> the guy who owned the shop, was like a Desert Storm vet, and he's like, I want to see this AK. <laughs> and so this dude, his name's fucking Darby. Goes out and grabs this fucking AK and brings it into this tent shop to fucking show the owner. And it's like covered in duct tape and shit. <laughs> it was so fucking crazy. I guess one of the fucking bullet holes it was in was was from a, 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 a ex-girlfriend's dad from when he was a teenager or something. I'm like, Jesus, this guy's had a rough life. He said, like, look at this one. Ain't it a beaut? <laughs> Nearly took out my belly button. <laughs> there, there was this guy. My dad used to do body work. Before he passed, he uh, he had a body auto body business, and I remember I would go over and work with him in the summertime. <clears throat> he had excuse me, he had this one guy that worked there named John, 
John H. I'll just say H. Just just on the weird, weird chance that someone hears this, I'll just say John H. But this guy was a trip because he really was like that. But at the same time, he was like the nicest guy in the world. So you're dealing with somebody who is super nice but ignorantly racist at the same time and he doesn't understand that. Like it's not a hatred thing. It's just how he talked. And I'll never forget this sentence because uh, you know on Friday nights in the auto body shop, usually you'll hang out after five and someone brings a 12 pack and they're all sitting around, you know, BSing and stuff. Yeah. And, uh, I'll never forget this man. And I, I, my dad had to, had to, had to like break it down to me and say like, yeah, I understand what you just heard. I assure you he meant no harm, but here it goes. <laughs> so we're sitting around and we're laughing and everything like that. And I'm, I'm, I'm saying we, but I'm just watching the adults do this cause I was a kid. And, uh, you know, it's great. You know, pops just drinking and then taking me in the car and going home and everything, but that's a whole other story, Joe. So we're sitting there and this guy goes, this guy goes, you know what, buddy? If it was because it was a bunch of uh, we had like a bunch of Mexican Hispanic people that were working in the shop, and he goes, you know, I gotta be honest with you. If it wasn't for you fucking Mexicans, I wouldn't have any friends at all. I love y'all, man. And he was just dead <laughs> serious, <laughs> and I just and the look on his face was like he was like. Like I just appreciate you guys so much, but it's really just what was connect. Yes, but it's like you fucking Mexicans are just the best, man. <laughs> <laughs> We're all thanks, thanks, thank thanks, you, John. I think yeah, and he would. I mean, he had a bunch of gems like that, but I swear to you, it was the weirdest thing because anyone could tell, anyone could tell that he wasn't coming from a harsh place. This guy just literally did not know any better, and back then, you know. Correcting people wasn't exactly in the forefront. You know what I mean? It wasn't. We didn't have Twitter back then. There wasn't a lot of cancel culture or anything like that. So I don't know. I think just in my environment, I grew up kind of like around that stuff. And, you know, with with, um, you know, like Eddie Murphy comedian type. Excuse me. Let me try that again. Like, you know, with the, the, the actually I'm talking about comedian Eddie Murphy's album comedian or delirious or anything like that. Like the yeah. the the culture was just different back then. Oh, you the know, way that delirious starts out. Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I was watching that in high school. Yeah. You know, like, yeah you, I used to use that particular brand of the F word all the time. But did I ever in hate call a gay person that? Not no. a single time. No. I mean, but, and, and I come from that time. too. That one and the R word. Both of those took me a long time to come around on just because they were, they were part of my vernacular that it was, I, I guess I, I didn't. I, I, I knew that if somebody that were of that persuasion and then heard the slur that they wouldn't like it, but I, I guess it just took I think we the just 20 had to, teens to get rid yep, of it. You know? yep, we had to condition our brains, man. We had to be sort of rewire things and think differently about it. I mean, I'm with you. I'm from that camp. I was born in 72. So, like, if my friend, you know, tripped me when we were walking or something, that's the first word that comes out, the F word. Because it's just, oh, you, you know what I mean? But it had nothing to do with, with like uh, someone being a homosexual or anything. So, yeah, there's a lot of things like that that just seems so commonplace in comedy and in pop culture. I mean, go back and watch a Mel Brooks movie. Oh, yeah. Racism, racism was prolific in these things, man. And it's just um, – Blazing Saddles. Blazing Saddles is another one. Yeah, it's just crazy. <laughs> the that line we, he says when he puts the gun to his own head in front of the crowd. Yeah. It, I don't know. <laughs> that's what that's – fucking hilarious but i mean like you can't how do you write that you don't you can't write a movie like that in 2010 it's just no you could doesn't happen i don't even know if you could redo tropic thunder a robert downey jr's part in that movie i don't think you could redo that now that's that's so funny that you mentioned that i was actually talking about that not too long ago like that there's just no way in hell that would happen i think that rdj <laughs> i think he got in 
right at the cusp of that. There's no way if that movie, there's no way that movie could have been made like even five years later. It's just not possible. No. Or it probably could be made, but of course it's going to catch a bunch of hell for it. Yeah, it's just a different time we live in. I don't know. It's kind of weird. Like, you know, <laughs> this is me, but I don't want to say I miss those days of doing that, but it's, it's, I, I think I, I've been able to say those things because it's not like I need to say those to feel healthy or feel whole or anything. But at the same time, it's like a, there's so much more thought now that you have to put into these things because you don't really want to offend anybody. I certainly don't. I mean, I, I feel that anyone that has a microphone in front of them regularly should be conscious of those kind of things to some degree. I also think, though, that you have to find a kind of a happy medium. I'm not saying I want to sneak in an F word or an N word or anything like that in, into my show. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I think there is a, a fine line between like a cancel culture going too hardcore and then somebody just, again, being like just being able to just speak that way freely. It's kind of nice to keep keep your identity a little bit without having to like totally give all of that up. I don't know if I'm making sense or not. What? No, totally. I'm certainly not. I'm certainly not trying to say, man, I wish I could be a racist because that's not what I'm trying <laughs> no, to say I at all. No, I get what you're saying. It, but yeah. And I think a lot of it boils down to just this current climate of the the cancel culture. Is yeah. that you know nobody wants to get that pointed at them, especially when it's when it's unjustly applied and yeah. That's the problem with cancel culture is mm-hmm. that it's essentially mob behavior and yes. mob behavior is never good. Historically, mob behavior with human beings is fucking terrible. And the thing with the cancel culture that I don't like is it's it seems to be a lot of people that are desperately signaling that, look, I'm not this way. Let's all join together and bully the people who are, which have you ever read the book Dune? Uh, yeah, a long time ago. I'm more familiar with the movie. Do you recall the the phrase in that book where it said that when a um, – it basically says that the ruling class fears the people they subjugate because they know that, that when those people have their day, it, it'll basically be the end of them? Hmm. That, I, I don't remember that line, but that's a great line. That's – like basically it's like you need to be afraid of a – of a subjugated populace rising up because it's once when, when these people that have been downtrodden for so long, when they're able to stand up and swing back, it's going to be fucking terrible for the people that they're swinging against is more or less what it's saying. And that's what cancel culture feels like to me. It's these people that, that even if they're not the one that's been marginalized, they, they feel the injustice of it and, and they don't like it in the world. They, they hate it and they want to see it twisted around. And what are they doing with it? They're now being bullies. They're now doing exactly. the, they're now mimicking the behavior that they hate, but right. they've justified it because it's aimed at people who are bullies. Okay. I can see how in the short term that that might have some sort of positive result. There's, um, I don't remember exactly where I read this or, or what it pertained to, but there was an anthropologist that was talking about this, um, like tribe or something like that, that he was studying where if somebody did something wrong in this society, everybody would ignore them. And mm-hmm. so then they would have no, you know, sense of belonging or anything. And then this would go on for a set amount of time. And then everybody would then come in and hug this person. And so they would, they would go without this like human contact. They'd be kind of cast out from the tribe and it would feel terrible, but then everybody would come back and accept him in again. And, and then everything would be fine. The person has learned their lesson. In cancel culture, I don't see that second part coming in and happening. 
No. And it, see, but, the thing that really – go ahead. I'm sorry, Joe. Uh, sorry. I was gonna say, one more point to take and then I'll, I'll, uh, then I'll let you talk. There's a line that's in there where the, the, you can't be forgiven. There, there's no, okay, come on back, Harvey. It, it's been it's been long enough. No, fuck that guy. <laughs> fuck yeah. the Bill Cosby. No, <laughs> fuck that guy. But like guys with like Louis C.K., I, I, I find that where I'm on the fence where I'm like, okay, yeah, it's terrible. He pulled his dick out and jerked off in front of people. But he kind of asked permission first. Yeah, they might have been the in a weirdest tough spot. part about it. Totally weird. Yeah, they might have been in a tough spot thinking, hey, I have to say yes. This is the big comic on the tour. He's helping me bring my career up. All that. It, but okay, so now he lost his show. He, his name's been drugged through the mud for a long time. Let's not forget, Louis C.K. has a lot of funny fucking comedy specials. He's still a funny guy. He's still a human being. Some people are a little fucked up. What he did, is it wrong? Yes. But is it as bad as what Cosby did or what Weinstein did. No, it's not the same. So is there, is there a path to redemption? Is there this moment where the village then gathers around and says, okay, you learned your lesson. You're not, it's your kink, but you just can't jerk off in front of your, your, your opening act anymore. Okay. Yeah. You know what you did, you dumb bastard. Do you get it now? Then get over here and give me a hug. I mean, but I, even right now, like there's a part of me sweating bullets talking about this. No. And I agree with you. Like I was actually thinking that like, Oh, Joe, but no, but you're, you're right. Um, now as far as Louis CK goes, I'll agree with you. Like he is one funny motherfucker. Like there's so much material that he has that has me in tears. His shows were great and everything The I don't know. For me, I think it's just like there's a certain – like if you, if you ha- if your dick is out, at some point you you may not deserve the right to come all the way back again. Now, were you intoxicated? That's a very fair were, point. You know what I'm saying? If your dick is out, maybe we have to change gears a little bit. Um, maybe Louis C.K. wasn't the best example. <laughs> no, no, no. It's it okay. First because first just him and his dick popped into my head before anything else. <laughs> if I had a dollar every time that happened, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean I know what you're trying to say. You and say it's, that out loud. He took his dick out and I'm like, oh, that's not cool, bro. <laughs> you know this Weinstein guy. Not so bad, right? No, I'm just kidding. No, I mean it's weird. I mean I've had conversations like this before too where it's like do you still celebrate someone's art? For instance, I've never been a Woody Allen fan. But Neither have a, I. Lot of, a lot of people love Woody Allen and they're willing to forgive that. I, it's That one's an easy one for me. I don't really – you know, Cosby is an easy one for me. Uh, again, Weinstein, easy one for me. But then you start getting – and then – now here's where it starts getting like a gray area because you don't have any – you have a lot of hearsay. You've got documentaries and things like that, but you don't have anything finalized, particularly legally. Take someone like, say, Michael Jackson. You know, you have a lot of people that are saying, yeah, he's totally a pedophile. And, and even to my – if I'm being honest with myself, I would tend to sway that direction too. You know what I mean? But it was there was never anything that was you know legally done. He was never prosecuted for anything like that. My point being, I have been a lifelong Michael Jackson fan when it comes to his music. You know what I mean? And I mean, Thriller is one of my favorite albums ever. Do you think that it's wrong? Like, like should you feel bad about still celebrating someone's art if they have that type of stigma behind them? No, I don't think so. I think it'd be different if you were doing something that was like lining his pockets and then he was using that money to then continue abusive behavior or something like that. Then it, yeah. in a way you'd be enabling that yeah. sort of behavior. But with, with, with him, you know, he's dead, he's gone. They are, they are just allegations. And at the end of the day, it's like that, 
doesn't really come through in the in the art in the music and so at that point i think you know if if listening to michael jackson music brings you joy then i don't think that there's anything wrong with that yeah it's just, that's a weird thing you know it's like something that i don't think a lot of people openly discuss for fear of being canceled for lack of a better term you know um getting back to that it's it's hard in our position because there there's been countless times i'll be honest with you we we edit our show to a degree back in the day we used to edit a lot and i think that was just more of me being a perfectionist but now i've i feel more relaxed on the microphone and we don't really do that that often but there are those moments where we'll say something and we totally come from a good place we i I think if you listen to our show enough you know that we're trying to come from a good place most of the time i mean pretty much all the time we might get a little crass and when i say we i mean me because steve doesn't use profanity or anything like that (laughs) so i'll take the blame on that one but we have had conversations where it's like pause should we have just said that you know what let's make a let's make a note and just take that out just to be on the safe side and i don't really know if i when i do it sometimes it's a little begrudgingly because i know it's coming from a good place like i know i would never i live my days trying to be a good person and trying to surround myself with good people you know what i'm saying like i try to live a good life yeah and and but when you get on the microphone and your voice is out there, being whether or not you're a podcaster or you're a you know a big time broadcaster, like say like Howard Stern or something like that, there's a big difference in the matter uh, amount of listeners you have. But it only takes one. And if you say the wrong thing, I don't. I personally don't want that coming back at me. Mostly because I'm pretty open about who I am and what I do on my show. I just would hate for someone to have that one person that wants to go. Okay, let's Google this motherfucker and see what we can do to ruin his life. You know, oh, that's those a things- scary prospect. Dude, those things cross my mind. I'm not a paranoid person in that, but it, in that subject. But at the same time, I try to be cautious. So I try not to really get anything out there that's – even if I'm like being lighthearted about it, I, I try to take into consideration other people's feelings and such. But then you get these people that are like hard, hardcore cancel culture and they have already ruined someone's career before anything has been said. You know, All you have to do is just have uh, – Again, maybe we're not using the best <laughs> the best subjects here, but do you remember that whole Chris Hardwick thing back in the day? Uh, yes, I think that, that he was being abusive to his uh, fiance or yeah, whatever. yeah. Uh huh. And I don't maybe. even know. If, I, I think it was more mentally abusive. I don't think it was a physically abusive thing. He's a pretty tiny guy. It's possible, but yeah. I don't. Think, yeah, I think I don't, it was. I think he was being emotionally abusive. Yeah, his, but for his, a long while, he, allegations at least. Yes, and but for a long while, he was gone. Like they took him off of Comic-Con. They took him off of Talking Dead. They took him off of everything. And he's slowly coming back. And quite honestly, you know, I, I like to take stories, people's stories seriously. And, and and I think lawyers have a lot to do with that. You know what I mean? As far as like who's going to win this battle <laughs> about, yeah. about shutting someone up or whatever. But even then it's like, you know, Chris Hardwick wasn't found guilty for anything. And it's like – but people just took him out, man. Almost ruined that dude's career. So it is very, very scary. I'm not entirely sure why why we started talking about cancel culture, but um, <laughs> yeah, but that put me in mind of like the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I don't know. I think they're just, they're just I don't know. Whenever it's domestic anything, it's it can be such a sticky situation. I I can understand why why that's a situation that cops do not like fucking walking into. Mm-hmm. You know, like they yeah. get that call that oh, there's a domestic dispute going on at this house. It's like oh, fuck. You know, what are you going to be walking into here? It, it, it could be anything. Yeah, wow. That's true, man. I, I mean, I don't know. I, I guess I guess as a podcaster, I just feel like I'm just going to try and be the best person that I can be. And if I do say something that's offends somebody, obviously it's going to happen at one point. Like there's just 
you can't expect everyone to just agree with you all the time. And that I just true. try to the, the I just try to make it a point to not <laughs> Yeah, for sure. But I do try to make it a point not to use those four dollar those four letter words that can get us in trouble or the three letter words anymore, you know, but I don't know, man. Yeah, Times have changed. Where I'm at. I, I still use the I, – I say cunt way more than I should still. <laughs> That's great. But like but whenever it's I say word, it, though. it's like nine times out of ten, I'm talking about a guy and I'm using it the way Australians do. So I should yeah. probably just like, oh, it's a right fucking cunt, that one. And then I can like get away with it. I'll just say it like that. You know. I saw this great meme. It was just this picture of a doormat. And it said doorbell's broken. Just yell "oi cunt" to let me, and I'll, and, I'll, and I'll come to the door. That's hilarious, man. Or like the boys. I love the boys. And I, and I was just gonna bring up the boys. Yeah, Butcher's <laughs> saying that word every third line. It seems like you know. Um, Have you read those one of comics? Our, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Did They're great, man. I'm a huge Garth Ennis. Mm-hmm. I have. Oh, I'm actually. I've read all a, of them I, as well. So yeah, go for it. I'm going through a very long reread though. Like right now, because I read them when they first came out. And um, so I've gone back through and at first what I was trying to do is read up to where I thought season one would end. And then that kind of got thrown out the window because obviously they're taking different story arcs and whatnot. Very so much, yeah. um, but I put it down for a while and I do plan on going back to it because to me now they're just two se- – much like Preacher, also by Garth Ennis. Now they're two separate entities. You know, I mean I think that The Boys is handling the material a lot better. They've just put out a better show than Preacher. I love Preacher but The Boys is just – it's – Way better, and um, I still need to watch all of Preacher. I think I've watched the first three episodes. I really liked it, but I was watching it on Hulu, and I have Hulu with ads, and so it's like I can only binge watch so much with ads before. I'm yeah, it starts to get old. Yeah, so. it's good. It's very good, but just I mean, you probably already are aware. It's just so different. But I think that the actors were really able to like pull it together, and, and you know, you could tell at certain points they're dealing with writing issues versus the talent because the talent was totally there i think what they did to dominic cooper as jesse custer was a little bit of a travesty because uh did you read preacher i read the first the okay correct me if i'm wrong but i think the trades are 13 issue trades Uh, i have them in six big books so and there was 60 issues so I'm not entirely sure because I know they've put out other ones too. I think it's six big books. Yeah, but, so it would uh, be right around 13 issues or so. In yeah, there, right? something like that. Okay, something so like that. I, I have the first two volumes and mm-hmm. I've, read the f- I've read the first volume like twice. And then I've started the second volume and then gotten derailed a couple of times. Yeah, it happens. Um, but And then I, I did the same thing with The Boys where I read – the first time I read that, I think the first two volumes were free on Comixology Unlimited. And so I read the first two volumes a handful of times and then eventually bit the bullet and just started buying the, the trades after that and read through and got to – I got past Herogasm, which was okay. fucking hilarious. Is, that's one of the – that's probably <laughs> that arc probably in my amazing. top two. Yes, yeah. that arc was just amazing and I really hope they do something like that on the show because <laughs> It's they mentioned that it's basically like a sex con that like all the heroes go to when they're pretending to be on an off-world mission. <laughs> yeah. When we were at C two E two, they actually talked about that. Someone asked them a question about that. Yes. And um, were you at that? You weren't at that panel. No, right? I wasn't at that panel. Oh, okay. But they did ask about that, and you know, obviously, they weren't really saying anything. None of the the uh, panels were really giving away any type of information for the forthcoming season. But they did sort of say that they touch on some of that. But 
you read what I read. There's just no way they're going to put that out on television. No. There's so much of the boys <laughs> and Preacher for that matter where it's like, oh, come on. We can't do this. This well, is 90 stuff. Well, not, well you know, pre, uh, the boys was actually in 2000 something. But, you know, like going back to like 95 when Preacher was running on full freaking, you know, all the gears were just running and firing. There's just no way you could put that shit on television. Maybe cable. Yeah. And I know cable, AMC counts as cable. But there was just a lot of stuff there that, again, like what we're saying right now, the the um, the attitude has changed, and people don't really see that type of humor as funny anymore. There's still the old schoolers like, oh, well, I read that it was funny then, so it'll be funny now. But I think people that are being introduced to that firsthand nowadays, knowing what we know and and you know practicing life how we practice, that I just don't think that that would be something that would be feasible to do. I don't think they could get away with it. Yeah, and. And I know some hardcore fans of the comics were, were pretty upset with the deviations they made with the show, but I liked it. And and I'm I really looking forward to seeing where these writers are going to take the story in this different direction because I love Garth Ennis. I've, there's so many of his series that, that are really close to my heart, but I did not like the way that he landed the boys. I don't like – that whole last fucking story arc can suck a dick. I, I fucking hate it. And I, it kind of – pissed me off that i that i own it <laughs> yeah no I, and i hear that a lot god damn this last story yeah. arc is it's and so i'm it really didn't hoping, it didn't stick the landing it just didn't no it it, it almost felt like bet, like betrayed as a reader where it's like i've come this far like with, on the journey with this guy and like uh, okay whatever I, I totally don't want to spoil it. And, and like, <laughs> I know that's why I'm you know, being for, very for anything. So I'll, I'll try not to dwell on it too much. But um, really looking forward to seeing what the the show can do differently. Because uh, I hope it does stick around for a few seasons. I hope they're able to make each fresh or each season fresh. And there's definitely lots of stuff from the comics they can borrow. I think it's the the second story arc where they go to Russia. Yeah. Like that thing is fucking fantastic, and that would be perfect for the show. You know, if they have could you, do some sort of variation on that. Have you? Sorry to get specific, but have you heard of Stormfront? Or you know who Stormfront is in the comic, right? Yeah. So, did you see who's playing Stormfront in the television show? Yeah, they they cross gendered it, so it yeah, they got a, a female playing Stormfront, which is going to be really really cool because otherwise, it, it just feels like it would be very cliche. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, but yeah, Stormfront was a freaky fucking character in the comics mm-hmm. too. I think that they picked the right person for this. If they were going to do a cross-gender thing, I really do think that Aya Cash is perfect for this because she can get super crude. You know what I mean? And nice. she can and she she can say those things or I should she says things that I think a lot of people are afraid to say sometimes in television or movies or whatever. So yeah, I'm I'm all for it, man. Give me more boys. I could do 5 6 seasons of that and just be so happy about it. Yeah. That first season was so good. It was the <laughs> What is the one line that says you can go fuck Shamu in the blowhole or something? Like that. <laughs> I, said, I randomly said that in the garage yesterday. We got this um, inflatable killer whale for the pool, and it's is uh, it was in this tote that I was looking through. I grabbed it and looked at. It. I'm like, well, fuck Shamu in the blowhole, toss it on my shoulder. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I love the fucking boys. <laughs> you know what they did with the boys that was great is that they were able to take characters that didn't exist and make them just as good. Or at least give them a good story arc where you you hated him for it. You know what I mean? Like the deep, for instance, he wasn't in that, and and they and they incorporated him into that that whole um, without giving anything away. The whole Starlight thing that she has to deal with in the comic, which they kind of touch on in the in the series too. Or like uh, translucent, 
Translucent yeah. wasn't around. No, the, well, and also wait, the deep was there, wasn't the deep, deep there? Hold on, I'm tripping. Yeah, the, the deep, deep was, was the deep was in the book. In, in the yeah, book, he had the he had uh, the, the, the the old like diving bell helmet. Thank you. On. Yes, yes, yes. That's what was different. But I mean, they, but you know, they they, she they had ran to fucking blow three of them in the comics. Like, yes, Jesus. he did. Yeah, and again, getting back to it, I just don't know if that's something that would have uh, really come across very very well. On television these days, uh, the actress that plays her, and I'm, her name escapes me at the moment, but she was talking about that too. Like they were asking, is there anything that you're glad you didn't have to do? Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, that, that would be the number one thing. <laughs> I'm glad this scene wasn't comic accurate. Yeah. She's like, I was dreading it, you know, and, and we, we had some phone conversations about it. I think it may have started off closer to the comic, but, you know, through negotiations and whatnot, they, they kind of sanded it down a little bit, made it a little bit more smooth. And I think that that's probably a good thing. But yeah. Again, I come from Garth Ennis, you know, like that's in my blood. So I'd have been okay with it, but I understand how people would be upset. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's just certain things that uh, – I mean, in, in a way, you know, nothing should be off limits in, in telling stories and stuff like that, especially like hard stories like that. It's good to to put it out there that, and, and make people aware of the fact that, you know, hey, this sort of behavior out there fucking lurks and just be on guard for it because you never know what sort of fucking weirdo you might run into. Watch out for the creepers. Yeah, and it, it's one thing to say that, and it's quite another to have to actually pay actors to fucking act it out on the screen, go through and edit it, set a score to it, and then release it for people to watch at home. But I'm glad they do. Because <laughs> I love that shit and I watch it over and over again. I think I've seen the boys three times all the way through already. Oh, nice! Yeah, I've only watched it once. They, I'm I'm consistently behind on my list of shows that I need to watch. Like, um, I'd been wanting to watch Altered Carbon forever, and then that last time I was on PCL and Brian was talking about the the animated re- uh, Altered Carbon resleeved. The animated movie that was on that was kind of like a bridge between season one and season two. Yeah. And so it's like, fuck, now I'm two seasons behind and an animated movie. And so I just jumped on that and got that all watched this week. And just the first season. Uh, did you ever watch Altered Carbon? I watched like the first three episodes with Kinnaman in it. And then it's just one of those things where I didn't I didn't dislike it. But for whatever reason, I got distracted or... You know, I have trouble watching multiple things. Like I tell – okay, I'm sorry. I'm going to kind of jump off and then I'll answer your question. But I always tell Brian – I've told him this at least three, four times. It's like, dude, you're a fucking machine. Like I don't know how you take in so much content every week. I I agree. It's amazing to me, dude. It's like savant-like or something. I tried (laughs) – I've tried to emulate that just because, you know, I wanted wanted to do – like especially when we first started. I really wanted to do a very strong pop culture review type of show and then it just – for many reasons, including the reason that Steve and I are just incapable of not being tangential. It just doesn't really happen that way for us. But I was trying to keep up with everything and I just found it exhausting. I just could not do it. I I tend to like, I'll start forgetting things that that happened or I'm mixing the stories together or whatever. So yeah, yeah, I mean, I I just can't do that. Now getting back to um, Altered Carbon, I think I was in the midst of some of that when I took on Altered Carbon. So I don't know. Maybe I hear this is blasphemy to some, but Joel Kinnaman doesn't really – he doesn't really pique my interest a lot. Like there's really nothing that I can see him in that's – where like he was the standout performance. I just He's just not that guy for me. I'm not saying that other people don't think that or think that, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. But uh, so I'm thinking that the Kinnaman was kind of a hard sell at that time. There was probably something that was just much more entertaining to me 
that I was watching. I kind of want to go back to it now. That's the, that's something that I've definitely been doing over the last couple of weeks is going back and seeing all the stuff that I didn't watch last year or, you know, I've been like, for instance, Sherpa will now be on that list. Things that people are telling me to watch that I'm like, oh, I will. And I, and I just haven't yet. Um, definitely want to go back and watch that one again. The only thing that's sort of keeping me from going back to that is that I hear that season two kind of falls flat. Have you heard that? I have heard that in, in, I'll be able to report on that pretty soon. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I'm going to watch the animated movie and then dive into the second season. Um, I, I've heard some very minute details of what the second season's about, and so I'm, I'm pretty stoked to see where it'll go, but I am hesitant because I, I haven't heard people fawning over it the way they did. That first season is, it's damn near a perfect season of television. Like the, the detective story, uh, the super deep sci-fi, and... Just that that whole idea that that the consciousness is being kept in this stack that's like stacks it, it, that's it's a base it. of your skull and, and bodies are just sleeves now and and the super wealthy can afford to have clones made of their birth sleeve and have a whole bunch of clones on backup and have like a uh, a satellite up in the sky that backups of their stack go to so if their stack is destroyed they don't have a real death they just wake up in a new clone body and. You know, people who are super poor, like in the very first episode, there's this really, really small scene, but it's so fucked up and it's so telling about what present day is like for the regular folk in Altered Carbon is Joel Kinnaman's character is waking up in this prison facility. You know, his stack had been on ice for like 250 years and now he's put in this new sleeve and there's other people that are, you know, just coming to in 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 new sleeves as well. And one of them is like kind of this older lady that's like not really saying much and other people are talking to her and she's just acting really afraid and weird. And then when they're all walking out, there's a, you know, like a young to middle-aged couple that's like waiting for her. And all of a sudden they're like talking to the guards and they're like, what the fuck? There's her daughter, right? She's eight. Yes. I remember that old lady's body. And they're like, Hey, that's, you know, this is a pro bono case. You just get the sleeve that we have. If you don't like the breaks. it, yeah. If you don't like it, you know, just go and lodge a complaint here. And it's like their eight year old daughter is now in like, a, like what a fifty some year old woman's body. And it's like, what? Yeah. The fuck. I remember that. Yeah. I now you make me want to go back and watch it dude, again. A little I bit was sooner. obsessed, man. I was fucking like on on Friday night. I had. Four episodes to go, and I got off work a little bit early on Friday, came home, and immediately dove into Altered Carbon and watched the last four episodes all in a row. Oh, so this is fairly fresh for you then. Yeah, just finished it. I mean, I I binged all of it just this past week. Oh, okay. And yeah, dude, really, really solid. I I love all the plot because this main character, this guy that gets sleeved at the beginning in this new body is uh, Takeshi Kovacs, and he had been this elite soldier 250 years prior and he had taken place in this rebellion that was basically trying to stop this thing from happening that did where there's these ultra rich people that, you know, if, if they can afford to just keep living forever, then basically they can amass enough wealth to live beyond the law and, you know, keep other people more or less subjugated around them and stuff. And so this, this leader didn't want this to happen, and so she was leading this group of operatives to go and kind of stop it from from happening. And you know, he subsequently dies, gets his stack gets put on ice, and then 250 years later, one of these super rich people 
pays to have his stack brought out and put in this new sleeve and investigate his death because he had actually had a real death that happened where his stack was blown out and he woke up in his backed up body and he wants to know, okay, who killed me? And so he brings this, you know, kind of former super soldier out to investigate it. And so it's like a detective story, but it's also in this super sci-fi setting way in the future with all these really incredible concepts and stuff going on. And it keeps having flashbacks that as you watch the full season, it's not until you get to the last episodes where it's showing longer versions of flashbacks that you saw earlier in the season where now you can understand these other characters and stuff that are in it and some of these other characters' motivations. And so as you go on, the story gets really, really deep. And yeah, so man. If, if it's not carrying that same momentum into the second season, if if it's something like, did you watch Westworld? That is another one that I'm trying to get to. I've watched the first episode of season one like three times. Uh, this is how I did Game of Thrones, by the way. It took me a while to get – I had to like <laughs> – you know when you're like trying to start a lawnmower? Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's, that's what I'm doing right now. I'm sputtering through this episode to get through it. But sounds awesome. The, the concept's awesome. The acting seems very – you know, everything seems great about it. I just don't know why I haven't locked into it yet. Yeah, Westworld's incredible, but every season of Westworld is drastically different than the season before it. Oh, is that right? I didn't know that. It really had to happen that way. In the first season, the stuff that happens at the end of it, there's no way you can start the second season and have it be like the first season because a fundamental change has happened in the status quo in the story. So you can't move backwards and do like kind of a repeat of the first season. It needs to be drastically different because of the direction that that season took you. And so I'm wondering if Alter Carbon is going to be something – like that where in the first season it's like yeah it's this it's this weird like blade runner esque like you know sci-fi story but it's also this super you know this detective story and it's just piecemealing all this stuff out to you but at the same time you're learning all this stuff about the main character so you got the mystery of this death that happened there's another secondary mystery going on as well that a police detective is looking into but then you're also just learning all about takashi's backstory and how he came to be where he was at and who these people are that are that are in the flashbacks that's showing and so so much of the first season is is detective story a couple different mysteries rolling but then also unfurling all this backstory the character well now is the second season as a result going to have to be drastically different is it going to be another detective story are they going to show more of his backstory now because the way that that first season finishes out it kind of leaves this impression of all right we're we're more or less done with this part of the backstory so now they're going to have to go into i mean it feels like they covered everything so maybe that's where some of the discontent lies in season two but i guess i'll find out pretty soon <laughs> are you an anthony mackie fan i like marvel and everything but are you like a, a big fan of anthony mackie yeah I, I like him well enough i mean i i don't think it's going to take me out of it or anything seeing seeing him in it uh, you know what it is? It's like I like Anthony Mackie. I've never seen him in anything that proves he's a strong, solid lead. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? What and that's that? – that's, What was that Netflix movie that he was in with Frank Grillo recently? Oh, with Frank Grillo. I say recently, um, but it was probably several months ago. I am <laughs> not sure. action movie where, where Anthony Mackie was like the, the nurse or something like that. And then Frank Grillo was the guy trying to save his brother. And so they – they kidnap Anthony Mackie's uh, pregnant wife, and they're trying to force Anthony Mackie to he- help um, Frank Grillo's character do something. 
I'm afraid I'm going to leave you hanging, but it sounds intriguing. (laughs) I I feel like such an asshole that I don't know the name. I literally wrote a review for the point blank. I think, but dude, we watch a lot of shit though. We watch a lot (laughs) Uh, of shit. I mean, I don't know about you, but I know I do it. it, Come on. There's only so much space that the cupboard can hold. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm, I'm 99.9% sure that it's called point blank and it was a Netflix movie. But anyway, Anthony Mackie was one of the leads and like, he didn't take me out in that, but I totally agree with what you're saying that really haven't seen anything yet that shows that, Hey, this is going to be like a, a leading man on the same caliber as like, like Chris Evans or RDJ or something. Right. Like that. It, yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, he might have, I'm not ruling him out just yet. The Falcon movie. <laughs> Has it even ever been discussed? I don't think we're ever going to get a Falcon movie. We're just barely getting a freaking black widow movie. If that thing ever comes out. So <laughs> I don't know. It's just I don't him know, on man. like sabbatical and he's out like banding birds. <laughs> like, this he's is just, really relaxing. He's just taking pictures. He's just everything birds now. Just a I, I, uh, bird calling, Taking photos of sparrows. That's what Falcon does now. Hey, man, speaking of Netflix, are you into Ozark? Dude, I tried watching the very first episode of that, and it triggered my anxiety so bad. All that shit. Dude, Ozark, number one, that first episode is not fucking around in that first season. With Mm -mm. that scene where they're like in the office and those guys are confronting them, knowing that, hey, we know you've been stealing with us or from us. And the way that that whole scene goes down, I think... If I finish that first episode, which I'm not positive I did, I don't know if I made it past that scene because it triggered my anxiety so bad. Yeah. Uh-huh. But I was just like, I, I don't know if I can watch this show. Like, this show might give me stress. But Dude. now it's like so acclaimed. Everybody's loving it so much. That I'm like, fuck, maybe I just need to put on my big boy pants and watch it. I will tell you that Gail said the exact same thing. She doesn't like movies or television shows where um, – there's just always something happening. Like you can't just clear up the problem and move along. As soon as you clear up the problem, another problem pops up. I'm going to tell you right now that that is all three seasons of Ozark. <laughs> oh, it's it's that way all the way through, man. I like that kind of shit. And I got to tell you, man, Jason Bateman just knocks it out of the park. Like Jason the whole cast. Is amazing. Yeah. The whole cast though is just – I mean Laura Linney. I've always liked Laura Linney a lot. And she just, she just murders the screen, man. Uh, Julie Garner. Uh, also, she's the one that um, – her name's Ruth on the show, and she's got like the super curly blonde hair. I don't know if you remember her or not, but another just just constantly amazing performances, man. Season three is so fucking good, Joe. Nice. <laughs> oh my god, you got to go back. I I actually got midway to through season two, and then all this started. And I went, you know what? Time to go back to Ozark because I knew it was coming out, and I just finished a, a season three last night. I cannot wow. recommend the show enough, dude. Try it out. I know it's it's going to be a lot of anxiety, but <laughs> it's totally worth it. Another movie, another thing that's like that too. Have you seen Uncut Gems? No, and I heard enough descriptions of it to where that movie's on my. I'll probably never watch this list. <laughs> that movie is the key anxiety trigger for, dude. Seriously, you know how like in good gangster movies, when everything's starting to go down towards the end, when they're starting to, they're all turning on each other, and yeah. the feds get involved, and all these busts start happening. And it's just yeah, nonstop. Like that point in Goodfellas where he's driving around staring at helicopters. Exactly, yeah. exactly like that. That's that's the movie. <laughs> that's that what way, it sounds all like all the way it, through, dude. It sounds like the entire time you're like. For me, when I watch a movie, and I know movies are, you know, this isn't weird that I react like this because movies are designed to get you to empathize, empathize with the character and experience these emotions. I mean, that's what the whole point of the score is, right? Is to use right. certain tones to elicit emotions in you. And there's just certain rides that, that I don't want to go on. There's certain things where it's like, I don't want to watch 
you know, 90 minutes of having to empathize with this person to where every, every decision that they're making is leading them towards chaos. Yeah. And, and as the viewer, of course you're seeing this, you're supposed to see this. You you have an outside seat looking in, but it's just hard for me to watch certain shit. And, and, and that's one of them. Like, like I've heard a million people say Manchester by the sea is an amazing movie. I will never watch it ever. What's the, what's the deal on that one? Cause I, I re- I'm not a big fan of that's Casey Affleck, right? Yeah, people are just like, dude, it's so sad. And I'm like, why would you do that? Why yes. would you do that to yourself? Yeah, no, it's um, amazing. You have to do it. Tell you, I don't have to right now. I'm going to go ahead and just disagree with you. <laughs> <laughs> How you like that? Yeah, you know, I started that movie. I'm not a big fan of Casey Affleck, but I got that vibe right away. Like, this is not going to be a movie that's going to make me feel enlightened to go out afterwards. Yeah, uh, it just seems super heavy. And quite honestly, that's the reason I turned it off. I just never went back to it again. Uh, yeah, I see what you mean. Um, I'm more like that with depression type movies, movies that are just dark all the way through and, and kind of sad all the way through. I like the whole anxiety thing. I understand okay. why a lot of people don't, but I kind of get off on that. <laughs> but the whole like just just watching depressing stuff can be really bad, even to the fact of like maybe it's not depression, but like say you ever watch a movie or a series and for whatever reason the director or cinematographer wants to put like a gray filter all over everything yeah i totally know what you're talking about Uh, yeah like what i just watched that was like that great movie but it was like that the entire way through um dark waters with mark ruffalo very much that way the the cinematographer was very depressed or something it's just gray (laughs) constantly i don't even like it when it's overcast outside do you know what I mean? Like I'm serious yeah. when I say that. Like I just – it gets to me. So I tend to stay away from movies like that. I've pushed myself through several of them because I know that there's going to be something good at the end. By the way, I think Dark Waters is one of those movies. But uh, that's usually the kind of stuff I stay away from. That's but I the, love the, the I love the anxiety. Movie. Yes, the DuPont movie. Yeah. yeah it's uh, the, the waters are fucked up and so it's, yeah. it, it's kind of like uh, tangential to maybe Aaron Brockovich type story, right? I was going to say exactly that. Yeah. Um, you know, and it happens. So I think that it's something that everyone should watch just to kind of be aware of what's, what, what happened in our country and how it affects us even today. I mean, even you and myself, it's affecting us right now. So there's, um, because you know, the, did you know what that really was about at all? I mean, it sounds like you gave me like the gist of it, but do you know, like the, the key, teflon. the key chemical Teflon. Exactly. Teflon. So we're still it, it, using Teflon, you know, yeah, and how it's like basically woven into the DNA of a lot of people of 99.9% of the world. That's fucked up. I might have thrown, I might have thrown a little drama on the point nine now that I'm saying it, but I know 99 <laughs> was the key number there. And that's, that's enough. Wouldn't you say like that's plenty. Yeah. So, but yeah, it, if you can, you know, if you get a hold of that one, check it out. It's, it's actually really good. Nice. Yeah. You know, and, and that's one of those ones where I could probably watch something like that, but um, what was it? I remember a long time ago, I was on the Supercast, and they were talking about an upcoming documentary about Heath Ledger that I think his dad was putting together, and they were all okay. talking about, you know, what a re- close relationship that him and his dad had, and this documentary was going to be a super tearjerker, and they were all looking forward to it, and like one at a time, they were everyone on the show was like, yep, I'll be watching that, and so I'm just hanging back. I'll be like, oh, I'll just be quiet, maybe they won't call me. <laughs> of course, Jordan's like, Joe, you didn't say anything. I'm like, no, nah, I'm not watching this. And they're like, what? And I'm like, it sounds sad. Why would I fucking do that to myself? I'm, I love Heath Ledger. He was amazing in The Dark Knight. He was funny as shit in 10 Things I Hate About You and in A Knight's Tale. And, you know, Heath Ledger was fucking great. It's just he was one of those actors that everything he did, he could do something really good with it. And it showed. And it's super tragic that he died young the way he did. Do I want to watch a documentary talking about it, about the the, pe- the people who loved him most 
talking about how affected they are at his loss and then feel all fucked up afterwards. No, I'm not going on that ride. I know yeah. that that feeling exists within me because I'm sad that Heath Ledger's gone, but I'm not going to dive into that feeling and wallow in it. I can't. You're not going to add a little salt and pepper to it and flavor no, it up get, some more. I just get too affected by that sort of shit to where no, it'll I hear like you. stay with me for a while. And I'll just like randomly be thinking about it. I'm like, fuck, I don't want to do that. So I, I tend to try and douse myself <laughs> in more like comedic things and just like – that's why I think like superhero movies like click with me so well is because it's just, hey, this is something that you don't really see in the world. where they, We see plenty of fucked up, terrible things in the world, but we rarely ever see some all-powerful force that can come in and deal with it in a kick-ass way. And, yeah. And have it also be a nostalgic tie to, you know, cartoons and stuff that I watched when I was a kid. And and like nine times out of ten, the good guy wins. Yeah. So, you know, you're going to end up with the I – mean, you know – we could always talk about the Avengers taking a different approach, <laughs> but but still, <laughs> you know. But in the cool end, about Infinity War, though. Yeah, dude, Infinity War broke me. I was like, "What the hell did I, I just know. see?" I know. After it just goes to credits after that, and everybody's like, "What the fuck uh -huh. just happened?" I, I remember getting up out of my seat after the end credit scene, and I'm like, what, "These people never read the Infinity Gauntlet comic." <laughs> It's like I tell you, yeah, my my uh, yeah, bunch of people disappeared, and then they kick ass, and then we get event, and then we get Endgame, and it's just like fuck yes. My wife and daughter had no idea what was coming when we saw that movie, and as soon as it was like, I don't want to go, Mister Stark. It just I just hear like blubbering yeah. coming from my left and my right, like oh my god, Peter Parker. You know, spoilers. Hope you have hope you've seen that movie. <laughs> I don't know how you can't, but. uh yeah, it was crazy, man. I remember walking out of that one with my buddy. And I go, let's just turn around for a second and just see like the reactions of people when they're walking out. Yes. And it was like coming out of a funeral, man. Like everyone was just like, oh my god. <laughs> it was like there was no one talking about, oh that part. Remember that part? It was everyone just walked out quiet. And it was like, wow, good job, Marvel. You did it. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, man. Those movies hit harder than people think. I think. Yeah, I think Infinity Gauntlet was was free on Comicsology for a long time it's probably not anymore it, as soon as like interest pricked up for it they're probably like hey let's start charging for this book again but you know who has it though is uh, that one a long time ago though you can get it on marvel unlimited that's a subscription service but you can definitely get any marvel comic there yeah yeah it, that's a good service too but man i i feel like with comics it's it's like i can only pay for one service because mm -hmm. you know it's just it isn't like reading a comic book is time consuming but when you want to get the most out of, you know, whatever you're paying for a monthly charge, it's like, you know, the more you read, the the better you'll feel about that. Yeah. And so it's like if I have two comics services that I'm paying for, it'd be like, ah, oh, and then trying to juggle watching shows on all the streaming services I pay for, too. It's just like too much. Dude, it starts to really add up after a while. Dude, I, I went totally nuts on, on comic reading after the first of the year. And, like, before January was through, I think I'd read close to 200 books. Wow. Yeah. So is, that, like, is that for the show or is that just because you're just a general love of comics? I think it was just because I was probably having a manic episode or something. <laughs> 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 but I was just like, I must read every single Comixology Unlimited Star Wars book on here. And I read so many Star Wars books. I read almost the complete new canon. Wow. Anyway, and... I've got this iPad sitting right here in front of me with Comicsology on it, and I have—I uh, may or may not have been given 
a password to <laughs> to Marvel Unlimited. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, maybe I should stop watching so much television and dive back in, man. There's lots of books I want to read. There's lots of there's just a lot of things I kind of miss that I want to do. Here's a question for you, Joe. What do you miss the most ever since we had been forced to stay inside? Um just the I'm really realizing how much I took for granted simple things like just going to the store or going into the convenience store, um, going into any place where there's lots of people and and not having – like I've always been a germaphobe, but not yeah, to the too. level that I am right now. I mean everybody's on – well, I shouldn't say everybody. Almost everybody's on heightened awareness with it right now. And so I think a lot of us are really realizing how much – everyday shit that we took for granted and then they're also looking at that under a microscope and saying oh my god look at all this behavior that i used to um participate in that was you know putting me and my (laughs) my biome at risk and so i wonder how long of a lasting effect we'll have on this because remember remember after there was that big wave of of patriotism and everything after 9-11 and there was American flags everywhere and people had yep. the, the tacky ass fucking flagpoles that they put in the back window of their car and you'd see some tattered ass American flag zipping down the highway. Yeah. You couldn't go, you couldn't turn on the radio with her. I'm proud to be an American. <laughs> yeah. Every, yeah, you're right, man. But How long is this going to last with fucking hand sanitizing and shit after this is what good. I'm wondering. It's a very good question. I mean, I, I talk about that quite a bit with my wife because it seems like that's something that, oh, it's that simple to avoid. I mean, you know, it's not that simple, but of course it definitely is a is a huge part of keeping yourself from getting infected is washing your hands and simply not touching your face. I, I think that we, it's so with us right now where we – I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm washing my hands a lot. Like I got to put lotion on my hands yeah. now because they're all raw and everything oh, like that. And my then, hands are so dry. <laughs> yeah. And then like if you know you include work, I'm washing my hands even more over there too. So it's just kind of natural for me. But I'm thinking there are a lot of people that are realizing, wow, I'm kind of a disgusting pig. I don't really wash my hands that much. <laughs> so maybe – you know what I mean? Seriously. So it's like maybe I should change. And it seems logical that people would do that kind of thing. But you're very right. I mean I think it's just once – once – we as Americans, I'm just I'm just talking about Americans right now. We come together during these times of crisis to some degree. You know what I mean? More so with say 9/11. Yeah. But with this, you know, it's so divisive that it's just whatever. You guys do what you're going to do, and we're just going to stay safe and stay alive. But you would one would think that yes, that over the next you know five to ten years, you're going to see an increase in hand washing and hygiene and things like that. But that's a really good question. I I could see us just completely just diving after like a year. Because that's what we do as Americans. We just really buy into something and then we just gradually let it go or sometimes just completely drop it. Because that patriotic shit went away almost overnight at some point. I can't tell you when, but it happened. It's like, oh, what happened? We were we were all cool and hanging out and, you know, <laughs> I guess that's not the case anymore. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I tend to it's, babble, Joe. Don't mind me. Well, no. Hey, same here, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still in the back of my mind going, how fucking long did you talk about Mount Everest earlier, you fucking asshole? I loved it, man, because you talked me things. I'm I didn't know any of that. There was a part of me like, Joe, you were fucking babbling. Shut up. Well, I came on StarCast for this shit? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> exactly, right? No, I got to tell you, honestly, when I listen to your show, that is one of the, the main things that I really love about StarCast is that I'm you're a very um, – you're a seasoned guy. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you know – it seems to me like you know a lot about a lot of things. 
if that makes any sense. And you're a, you're a very great conversationalist. So when I listen to your show, which is why I began, you know, that was the main reason that I kept listening is because I'm constantly learning something from you. You're just, uh, you've got great opinions and no, man, speak away. Like oh, whatever you. you're saying. Yeah, seriously. I just love you, Joe. What can I say, man? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to blow you or anything like that, but I'm just being honest. No. I, I like listening to you talk and I like what you have to say. So don't no, feel and, like you talk about that too long. Wave, I love you too, man. Like, it oh, was, thanks, it was so fantastic meeting you and hanging out in, in Chicago. And, you know, I, I, I felt like you and I just clicked right away too. Like it was super easy to talk, easy to, it wasn't any of this, oh, this is, this is kind of weird. It, it wasn't, you know, it was, it was cool. And, and it's great when you meet people in life that are like that, where it's like, okay, this is somebody that, you know, I knew you were going to be there. And it was like, I'm a fan of your show. Don't don't make an idiot of yourself when you're telling Dan you like his show. <laughs> <laughs> Same here, though, man. I don't know if you, I don't know if you caught this, but it was uh, on Saturday, and I walked up, and you guys were all at the meeting spot, and I immediately I start talking to Brian about something. He's like, Oh, Dan, Joe Stark. I don't know if you caught it, but I went, <gasps> like, I was like, Oh shit! I, did not catch that. I totally weird. like, Oh my god, there he is. Be cool. Be cool. I think I gave you a hug right away, right? Oh yeah, for sure. And when you did, I just I just breathed in your scent. I'm like, oh, keep holding me, Joe. <laughs> it's like oh, it's beard oil and fear of large crowds. <laughs> you know, there's a lot to say about that. Speaking of like being comfortable around people and not having to do that whole thing. God bless the fucking leftover army, man. What a oh, great such bunch a, of people. And like, dude, I do not like large gatherings of people nor do i and the only reason i do it is because it's the one time of year that i get to see these people from the leftover army these guests that i've that i've had on the show people that i've been on their show before you know this this podcast community and and the leftover army community that sprung up around pcl is they're such cool people and they're so genuine and you know Lindsay was really nervous about that first year going when she went and and the thing i just kept stressing to her was i was like these are people that were like when they were growing up and like going to school and stuff, this wasn't like the fucking jock crowd of in assholes. These were people that were like liked comic book characters in the fucking nineties and shit. Like before they were all over the big screen, they know what it was like to, you know, be into shit that not other people are into. And then when you're, you know, the way that everybody interacts on the leftover army page on Facebook and how, you know, the, the rules that are in place there, I think, are, is something that, that's made that a good community. And, and the fact that, that, you know, the admins, I'm, I'm one of the, the admins on that page. Um, but, you know, we, we put a lot of thought into things before we just wholesale go on and, and you know, get too heavy-handed with, with dealing with posts on the page. But the, the one thing I'll say about the community is that we don't really have to do that, that stuff that much. I mean, people... Are are really really cool and yeah, like minded people that all fell into the the right place. You yes, know? and and when you when you get some of these people together and they we're meeting face to face, it's like all that genuineness and stuff it, it comes through. It's like these are people who trekked from like I mean you came all the way from California and <laughs> brave, yeah. brave Chicago at the end of February. <laughs> I would do it all again in a heartbeat too, man. <laughs> and it was so cool, you know. It's, it, it's like these people. It's like okay, I. In some cases, you know, they're people that you've heard their voice on podcasts before. In other cases, it's somebody that, you know, oh, you're just somebody that I've I've seen post on the page before. It's really nice right. to meet you in person. And, and one thing I'll say about myself at those things is I tend to just pick one spot in the room 
And I'm like, okay, this is my wall that I'm going to lean against. And if you were against that wall on Saturday, I, I remember know. that. I'm like, this is my. I'm comfortable <laughs> here. Like, I'm. I'm not. If I were to get drunk enough, I, I'd probably start being obnoxious and like going around visiting other tables. But it's yeah. like, mm, I, I, no, I, I <laughs> like the thought of just like, I'm going to walk up and talk to this table and then at some undetermined time, I'm going to turn around and walk away. I don't know how to make that happen without feeling like the most awkward person in the world. And so it's like, I'm going to pick a spot here. And if you come over and talk with me, we're going to have a good time. But I mean, there's some people at those gatherings that it's like, seeing you across the room several times. Good to see you cross the room again this year. <laughs> Let's see if we talk. And it's like, yeah. it's like, and then I'll walk away being like, you should have gone and said something. And it's like, no, that's that's not in my nature. <laughs> Just like walk up, hi, how are you? Yeah, well, that's and the I same thing with me. Push myself out there to do that though, because I'm around the community that that it would. I don't think it would result in in a super awkward conversation. I hear you, man. I'm the same way. Like I, I was very anxious, very anxious, because originally it was going to be Steve and I going. So I had. You know, in my head at that time, I'm like, well, if anything, if for some weird reason, I don't get along with any of these people, which is, you know, I knew that wasn't going to be the case, of course. But I got Steve and we can just roll and we have some familiarity there. Exactly. I have never been one to travel by myself. Gail, uh, she couldn't make it last year. So I'm like, OK, I'm going to do this. Steve, at the end, he couldn't make it. So I'm like, I really want to go meet all these people. I mean, I've podcasted with them, just like you're saying. You know, I mean, I've we've had we've had back and forth in one way, shape, or form, and I really want to go and meet these people because I have a feeling they're going to be as as nice as I think they are. That said, all the way flying to Chicago, I'm just nervous as hell. I go, I get there on Thursday night. I go get my badge and everything, and then it was time for us to go to um, the ramen place on Thursday night at nine, and. Uh, the whole freaking time I'm in the shower getting ready, I'm like, I'm gagging. I'm so nervous. Man. I'm just like, you think I'm kidding? I'm totally not. I was like literally gagging. I was so nervous. And but that's sort of my way. Like I'm, I'm I don't think I'm a shy guy, but I'm certainly not the first person that's going to come out of my way to just be like, hey, how you doing? I'm Dan, and start you know trying to take over the room or anything like that. I think a lot of people get that impression about me sometimes, but it's so not the case. I was very nervous the whole time, and walking in every single setting from the con to the dinner to you know uh, that place we went to on Saturday and so on, I never once felt uncomfortable. Everyone was just so warm and and I mean literally embracing, giving me big hugs, and and it was it was just really nice, man, because I wasn't going there to be like Dan from Heroes of Noise. I wanted to go and be part of the Leftover Army and meet all these wonderful people. And it was just, it was, honestly, it was one of the greatest experiences I've ever had in my adult life, meeting that many people at once. No no drama whatsoever. Literally one of the greatest experiences I've ever had in my adult life, just meeting all these wonderful people and, and gelling so terrifically. You know what I mean? Like, I hope that the impression I left was the impression that they gave me because I had to do a little liquid courage on occasion just to kind of get talking. You know, <laughs> yeah. like you're saying, like, how do you go from table one to table two and talk to these people? Well, apparently it has a lot to do with Stella <laughs> because because I was that guy and I was I was like, oh, God, I just hope I'm not making an ass of myself because like, it's usually a rarity if I don't. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know? no, I get that, dude. Like uh, there's so many times in my life where I walked up and talked to somebody and then walked away going, why did you do that? Yeah, that was, look, look what you've done. <laughs> seemed like such a good idea. I don't yeah. know. And now you're going to think about this 13 years from now as oh, you're getting in the shower. It's going to pop in your head. What an awkward ass you were. And out loud, you're going to go, oh. Do you get into your head like that for real? Constantly. Me too, man. That's, what, that's the worst. why sometimes this show's hard for me to do is because I have myself convinced like, no, 
no, dude, look, look what you're doing. No, no. And then it's like, but then I hear, you know, you say nice things like, Joey, it's an excellent show and you're good at this. And so it's like, that's the shit I need to focus on and not the voice in my own head telling me I suck. I mean, we're always our worst enemy, right? I can tell you that for me firsthand. I'm always my, my source of like a lack of confidence is always coming from me. Yeah. I don't know why that is. It's just really strange. I mean, some people just can 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 be so confident in their life. And I, I don't know. I really can't think of anything in, in my life where I've felt like 100% confident with. But this is a growing process for me. I mean, I feel – I definitely feel way more confident now since I've been doing a show and have had, you know, been able to talk to a lot of people and interview people that weren't even in the community or whatever. You know, um, it's helped me out a lot. I, I – I kind of use it as a tool personally to, to, to get myself out there more because I'm such a recluse and I'm so I'm such an introvert most of the time. I think it's, it's a really good practice to do this for me. What do they call it? Like, just like public speaking in general, you know? Yeah. Well, and it's one of those things to where if you're constantly putting yourself in a position that you would normally describe as uncomfortable, eventually it's not going to feel that uncomfortable that you're doing it. Totally. Yeah. And, like I'm, and yeah, it's just one of those muscles that you just need to exercise because it's, it's definitely a perishable skill. Yeah. I had to flip it on myself because I'm a clinical instructor. I used to be a clinical instructor for x-ray students and MRI students. And one of my big lines to them was like, once I, you know, I kind of established a rapport would be like, cause you know, you could tell, you can tell by someone's body language if they're nervous or they don't know what they're doing. And if you're a student coming into something like that, that's going to be the case nine times out of 10. You don't know what you're doing. And that's why you're here to learn it. Exactly. So, so I would always be like, one of my lines would be like, what is it, what exam or whatever is it that you're most afraid of, most uncomfortable with? And once they would tell me that, I wouldn't do it as a punishment, but I'd be like, okay, well, cool. We'll just know that we're going to do like all of those now. I'll be right here with you to get you through it so, so you can break that fear. And I had to turn that kind of logic on myself, you know, going to C2E2 or just sometimes just doing a show without Steve. It's where it's like I feel like, you know, Steve's a he's – a, He's a big personality. He sure is. He's great. you know, to say the least, he's a great. He's a big personality, and he is the. He tends to steer the show, and uh, so like whenever he's gone, or if I'm going to do like a one-off with somebody or something, I really have to like, really have to push that on myself because I'm always like, you're going to fail. You're going to mess this up. You're not going <laughs> to. You're not going to know what to say. Oh my god, that was a two-second silent pause. You know, all that shit. I just have to like. It's getting a lot easier now. If I hear a silent pause, that's because people are normal and they're silent pauses in between sentences. But before, it's like, oh my god, I failed. I did so bad, you know. And oh, it's yeah. a no. That, that'll happen sometimes where it's like there's a pause, like especially if you have a show where there's like several people on it. And for me, I don't know if maybe this is just me being too much of the the polite person and not wanting to step on somebody else's words. But then all of a sudden, when that pause goes on long enough, where it's like maybe they were waiting for you to talk. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah. no! It's like you know, it's just fucking. <laughs> it's like, Fuck! <laughs> that went on way too long. <laughs> no doubt, man. But it's just all part of us, you know, becoming better at what we do. And and yeah. I don't know. I don't know about you. I mean, I assume you love the podcasting. I don't want to call it a business, but I, I'm assuming that you love podcasting because you continue to do it and you've been doing it for years. Is that the case? I mean, is it something that you really enjoy doing or is it I more do. of like a I, – I, I really do. I mean, I, I have my moments where where I struggle with it and um, – I mean, you know, I, I, I took that long break and then just released a couple shows and then took a really long break again and then just recently started 
putting out episodes again and they're downloaded around the same rate. So it's like I didn't lose too much of my listenership going through. And and I know one of the things you're supposed to do to really build up a show is consistency and have a consistent schedule. But being that I do this as a as a hobby, it's it's really hard to like stick to like a consistent schedule with it because if I do make it feel too much like a job, then then I might start to look at it differently and not enjoy doing it. And so with Startcast at least I I just kind of have gotten myself to a point where I'm 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 almost going to do it like seasons or something like that, you know, where it's like I'm not going to have like a de- defined schedule, but there's probably points where it's like okay, I've done a bunch of these now. I've got something else demanding my attention and I need to step aside for a little bit because if I if I force myself to do it, it it's going to be tough because especially these one-on-one shows, you know, they they're just it's a very different animal because it's like, yeah, I've got a bunch of random ass topics and stuff I can bring up and other things that, you know, I, I know specifically about you. So it's like, if, if we were to reach a point like that, you know, in theory, I could look down and be like, Oh, we can go yeah, to this point, go this direction and stuff. Sure. But, but for a while there, when I was doing really good schedule or schedule wise and releasing one a week, it, it started feeling like it was burning me out. Whereas I, I feel like if it was like the only thing that I had to focus on, then I could totally do it and and release you know weekly episodes and 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 have them be the the sort of quality with myself that that I would be happy with but it seems for me it's like it it just works better if if i if I chase it when I'm inspired to do it, then that's yes. when I have the most amount of fun with it makes a lot of sense I mean you know we try to be a weekly show. But it's not always easy. We're we're he's a very busy person, and up until recently, I was pretty busy too. And uh, but I know that when we first started out, we have the dynamic where, and I'll just call myself out immediately. I am the control freak. Like when I when we first started, I had expectations of how I wanted it to go, how many you know how many episodes we wanted per month, and yada yada yada, just all the way down. And I did that not so much to be like, this is all my brand or anything like that. It was just, that's just how my brain works. Like if I'm going to dive into something, I have to hit it 110%. That's just how I've always been. And I found out very quickly that doing that when it comes to podcast, if you're not, I mean, maybe it's just me. Maybe that's just not my natural uh, talent, if you will, to just be able to just have that shit rapid fire all the time. But it took a lot of thought for me to do that. And I found out that by trying to do too much, it it burnt myself. I got I got burnt out very quickly. You know what I mean. Yeah. And I didn't want to. I didn't want to stop. And I think the thing that actually saved us was we were doing the show, and then Preacher came back on, and we have this other podcast called The Word. So we devoted all of our time to just that, where I didn't have to go and watch a ton of movies. And we did. You know what I'm saying? We didn't have to do the the variety type of stuff that we did. Yeah. It's we've come we've come to find out that now it's just very easy. We just turn on the mics and we just start talking, and whatever comes out comes out. But back then I was trying to be very structured, and I think that if I hadn't have taken that pause, or we hadn't have taken that pause and just done a different podcast for ten weeks, we took a ten week break. It's the only time we've ever done that. I think it's what saved the show. I'm not entirely sure if uh, we would be around if we didn't do that because I was wow. I was in my head, and I know I was pissing Steve off as 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 hard as it is to do. I knew I was pissing Steve off because I just was. I was just trying to go too hard and I think it just came out of again, you know, the the will to want to do something awesome and do it 110%, but also that anxiety thing that I have where it's like I'm sort of forcing myself to do this so I can continue to do it even though it might be taking a negative effect against me. Does that does that make sense? Do you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like I was no, I was just I pushing myself too hard. 
Yeah, man. So I'm really glad that we took that break because now it just feels very natural. I mean, honestly, we can just turn the microphone on and as you know, sometimes – I mean you've probably heard us say it. We're going to talk about this and then we never get to it. <laughs> we, just end up, <laughs> we just end up taking so many different right turns that just, you know, that's just what happens. But I got to tell you, man. the fun part of having a conversation. Well, especially with you and Steve. I mean you guys have it's, – it's clear that you guys are really good friends and you have been for a while. And the way you guys talk with each other is great. And Steve's laugh is one of my favorite things ever. Yeah, man. Me too. Me too. <laughs> I, it's infectious. The first time I heard it, I was taken aback because I wasn't expecting that sound to come out of him. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and at first I was like, was that an accident? And I, even, I think I even said like, do you always laugh like that? Like, oh, yeah, that's it. So then I made it my point to just make him laugh every single time I could because, you know, Steve is just a – like even if you're in the same room with him or in the same building with him, he's just a loud person in general. He's not trying to be. His voice just carries. So – yeah, man, I always knew it was a better day at work. If I'm working and I hear from like two hallways down, I hear that laugh. I'm like, oh, my boy's here. We're going to be talking later on. Oh, you know, that's how the, good. that's how the show came up, man. We would just hang out. We would, we'd hang out in the parking lot. I'd get off at midnight. He got off at two in the morning and he usually took his uh, break around that time. And we would just sit in the parking lot and talk nonstop about movies or comics or whatever. And there lies the show. One day we just went, why are we not recording this? It's kind of stupid, don't you think? And Perfect. here we are. Yeah, yeah. It really helps if you have someone that you're, uh, you're good friends with, though. I don't know if you've ever had. Maybe this is that time. But have you ever had that that guest on where it's just like, whew, this is this is this is rough, you know? <laughs> like I got to get through this one. I've only ha- it's only happened like twice, man. But um, no, I, I know what you mean. Like this is, I think, episode seventy six, and so yeah, there's definitely been times where it was like I'm panicking while I'm recording because I mean, there's just certain people that are. You know, just natural conversationists, and, and, right. and sometimes that isn't the case. <laughs> and, and when it's a show where it's just two people, and it just depends on a conversation, uh, it like like this is this is wonderful. We've been talking for over two hours, Dan. Oh my gosh, have we really? I haven't even paid attention. <laughs> really That's the thing about podcasting, man. Sometimes you look up, you're like, holy shit. Yeah, but I mean, also going into this one, I was like, oh, me and him. I mean, we didn't talk near as much as I would have liked at C2E2, but we talked enough. Where I was yeah. like, oh, Dan's one of those people I click with. Like, the, this is going to be fine. And so, yeah, I mean, ever since we scheduled this, which was probably a few weeks back at this point, right? Yeah, almost a month ago, something yeah, like that. Like, I've been looking forward to it since then. I'm like, yes, this is on my calendar. In <laughs> April, I'm I'm podcasting with Dan Ramirez, and this is going to be the shit. Can I be real with you? Yes. Um, I was. I don't really get nervous a lot before I record. Uh, Brian used to give me shit because I would tell him, man, I'm nervous for some reason. But he's like, I don't know why you are, but he would give me shit about it. I'm not anymore. I haven't been on for a while, but I'm not anymore. Um, Hint, hint, Brian. No, I'm just kidding. But anyway, um, (laughs) just fucking around, dude. But um, I was nervous about this one for some reason. And I don't know why. I think it's because, again, you were the first podcast out of this group of podcasters that I listened to. So – Obviously, my respect's there. Obviously, we've met, and I, I thought we gelled wonderfully. But what really got me nervous, and I love the shit out of this guy, was listening to uh, Scott's, uh, Scott Schutte's last show. Oh. I'm like, this dude is a plethora of information, and he can just go nonstop. And I'm like, at some point, I feel like I'm just going to start sputtering, like I'm like I'm running on fumes or something like that, because Scott's such a great conversation. You know Scott, what I mean? yeah, he, he sure is. <laughs> and I was thinking to myself one night, I'm just like, I can't do that. I can't compete with this. You know, Maybe the next one will be better. And then you brought on your buddy who's all smart. <laughs> James like, freaked oh. me the fuck out. I'm like, I'm glad I'm not that well informed. <laughs> Jesus, man, couldn't sleep that night. <laughs> but uh, you know, I'm thinking, oh god, I got a lot to, to 
I got a lot to compete with, but you're just, you just make me so comfortable that it's actually very easy to do. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> I'm glad you're having a good time. <laughs> oh, dude. Um, no, uh, so getting back to Steve's laugh, I've, I've always loved interesting laughs and I think it's cause my grandpa has got one of those laughs where oh, yeah. like, you know, and I grew up in a small town where everybody knew each other. And so when people be like, you know, Oh, you're, you're Alfie's grandson. I love his laugh. He's so funny. And so that's one of those things. And, um, so a while back I was working with this gal that had a, um, a Bluetooth, um, speaker and mm-hmm. when it would connect and unconnect it would like have a voice come out and say it and it was it was an asian accent and it was speaking horribly broken english and so every time that her bluetooth speaker would connect we would all laugh our asses off <laughs> and so i was like trying to do this terrible impression of it for Lindsay, and so i finally found it online but and it was part of a reaction video which i didn't realize at the time and so then the dude laughing to it is now like in my fucking top 10 for laughs <laughs> you, I have to play this guy's laugh for you. You have to hear this shit. You have it handy? <laughs> that was pretty quiet. Let me do that again. <laughs> fucking slays me, dude. When I Is just... that is that, which one was it? Was it the was it the 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 ee, was that, that the laugh? Or, oh my god, that is the best laugh I've ever heard. <laughs> I wasn't even sure if they were just laughing at him or what, but yeah, that's a laugh. He wins. Oh Sorry, my Steve. God. No, it was so <laughs> fucking like. And then like once I discovered that, I was like, I hey, fuck the Bluetooth thing. <laughs> like I just want to hear this guy laugh more. <laughs> yeah, man. There's um there's something to be said about that. I think an infectious laugh goes a long way, and and that's definitely obviously not the only trait to steve because that guy is just he's he's like one of my best friends man he's 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 um it's like always going to school with steve like you're just you're constantly learning something about steve even at this point i've known him for five years and i'm still just learning like what you've been doing this every day for the last five years and you've never fucking told me this i mean granted you don't have to tell me everything but this is a real common thing he's that kind of guy but that laugh man it's just um and like even at work you know do you know steve uh, the guy with the laugh. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You know, so yeah, that's that's, a, that's a uh huh. Yeah, but it's. I mean, you know what it sounds like. Yeah, no, and the world needs those people in it. So somebody that you can just be within like a certain radius of, and you hear them laugh, and it brings joy to your life. World yeah. needs more people like Steve Hudson. Oh yeah, that dude can pull me out of the worst mood possible. Like we were saying, sometimes it's not always easy just to turn on the mic and start going. And we've had those times before, like right before starting, where we're like, all right. And maybe I woke up late or he woke up late or I'm just not feeling it that day, whatever. And, you know, we have like a quick five minute conversation about what we're going to do with the show. And then we just start talking like we normally do. And that dude can pull me out of a bad mood so quickly. It's just like every single time I could there's I can't even tell you how many times I've started a show where maybe I wasn't in the best mood. And by the end of it, it's like one of the funnest times of like one of the funnest recording sessions I've had, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's dude. That's the perfect sort of person to have a show with. Because, Shh, tell me about it, dude. I mean, when you're doing the weekly schedule, I mean, I just said that I suck at it. <laughs> <laughs> and so when you got that weekly schedule, it's like, yeah, dude, it's it's going to happen. The, it's going to be, okay, the schedule says now is the time. Having trouble making myself accept the fact now is the time. Right. And I mean, and that can I, go, I mean, that goes with fucking anything. And I, and I guess that's just, that's where the first tenant of discipline comes in, right? 
which is, you know, whether it's fucking doing a podcast or making yourself go for a run after work, um, you know, it's fucking put yourself into the position so you can do it and make yourself do it. But just like with running, man, if you got a fucking partner that can help motivate you to do it, all the better. It's going to make it feel so much better. And and it it comes through in you guys' shows, man. Thank you. Thank you. That whole running thing hits so close to home right now, man. I just started thinking about it. As soon as you said running, any kind of like physical activity just triggers me right now. It's like, I am the worst self-starter ever. I have got to get my ass back out there. And you're right. Sometimes just having that, I mean, I, I know I'm jumping from podcasting to like working out or whatever, but like just having that person who can motivate you really makes all the difference in the world. I'm fine once I get motivated or, or at least get my ass to the gym after a couple of visits. I'm okay. I'm good. I'm ready to go. I'm in the, I'm in the groove now, but sometimes self-starting is a bitch for me. Yeah. Yeah. No dude, absolutely. And I've been trying to get my kids way more into it. So it's like, I'm not, okay, I'm going to come home from work. And then I'm going to go for a walk by myself. It's like, you know what? Why don't you drag your children into this misery? <laughs> they've, been, they've been cooped up in the house. They need to stretch their legs. <laughs> We're all going to – you're like Clark Griswold and shit. We're all going to fucking enjoy ourselves. We're going to be whistling zippity doo out of our assholes by the time we're done. <laughs> the hap- hap- happiest Christmas since Bing Crosby tap danced with Danny fucking K. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. Holy shit. <laughs> So every Christmas, um, Lindsay loves Christmas. And so as soon as it is on the boundary of socially acceptable, she immediately starts playing lots of Christmas music. She kicks it in quick, huh? Yes, yes. She's part Christmas elf. um, (laughs) But one of the things that she's discovered recently is um, this mix on YouTube that's like this Christmas dubstep. And so it's like Christmas music mixed with fucking dubstep drops. And there's this one where it's... um, I think it's the dance of the sugar plum fairies and it's a dubstep version. That's super fucking crunchy. And right in the middle where it's building up right before a drop, it plays that bit from Christmas vacation. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Dap dance with Danny fucking K and it just boom drops this really crunchy beat right after it. It's fucking cool. That is one of my favorite Christmas movies, man. Oh, it's, it's ultra classic. It's, you know, and that's one of those ones that I remember watching it on VHS when I was a kid. It was like the only movie I never gave shit for for like changing out cast members and just going with it. Like they always yeah. had they always had to have three you know two different kids all the time. Never bothered <laughs> me. That would bother me in any other movie when they substitute someone like that. But no, nah, I was just give me the Griswolds, man. They're great. Yeah. <laughs> European vacation, maybe not so much, but but uh, and I don't know. What do you think? You like that one or uh, what's worse, European vacation? Of course, I'm using my opinions, but uh, European vacation or Vegas vacation? I think I've only seen each of them once. I remember seeing European vacation when I was a little kid. And so that's that would definitely be a clouded memory. All I all that young Joe focused on was there was a, a scene in that where a girl opened her shirt and showed her tits. I remember that scene, Joe. Yeah. I saw it when I was like twelve. So yeah, I watched here. that over and, and over so and over that's again. That's really all I remember. It's like Haha, he sees boobies. And um <laughs> Vegas vacation. I know I've seen that at least once. Um and so I, I, I'm not familiar with either of them to put one over the other. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. I don't know. I, I never really got into the Vegas vacation, but the, the first three were great. Yeah, I watched – and I remember watching just regular vacation a bunch of times when I was a kid. But, I mean, I watched the Christmas one so much that uh, that it really overshadows everything in the other ones. I, I think I vaguely remember things at this point from vacation, but – 
I mean, there's so many movies that I watched a lot when I was a kid to where now they're just hazy details. Oh, yeah. I feel you. Like, like How- I used to watch the Monster Squad over and over again when I was a kid. Haven't watched it in years, but I would love to. And then just recently, my kids, I think it was when, when me and Lindsay were in Chicago for C2E2. I think my mom played the Monster Squad for them, and so they got to see it for the first time. I'm like, no fucking way! I wasn't there for that? And so I'm like excitedly asking them all these details. Like, do you remember this from the movie? Do you remember <laughs> that? And they're like, yes. Yes. <laughs> how, how old are you, Joe? If you don't mind me asking? I am 39. I was 39. Okay. in 1980. Okay. So we have, we have some uh, years between us, but it's just kind of crazy. Like to, like the, I like hearing the pop culture references from youth that people pull out because – you know, several years when you're a kid can make a huge difference. Oh yeah. So I'm I missed Monster Squad. I missed um, what else? What, what was big that everyone was into? Like Thundercats. I yeah, missed all I that missed kind of shit. Thundercats too. I never watched yeah. that one. Um, he Man, she, all that shit was just lost to me. But like you know, listening to PCL, that's where I hear it. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm so jealous. I'm like the kid that's sick, and I'm like looking out the window watching my plan, my friends play in the street because I don't, I can't fully relate, you know. But um, yeah, there's a, apparently I missed a lot of really good television back then. No, I don't know. Me I, too. It's like there's a lot of it that I catch, but then you know we listen. You listen to enough pop culture podcasts, and then all of a sudden you're like they're bringing up shows and shit, and like multiple people on the show excitedly talking about. It. It's like how did I completely fucking miss the boat on that? Like yeah. I had cable and everything growing up. It's like did I really only fucking watch? Just specific cartoons and shit when I was a kid, but in my case, it's always just I'm old as fuck, and that's why I missed all that shit. I'm like, what y'all know about the Croft superstars, Sigmund the Sea Monster, and HR Puffin stuff? I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> Incidentally, do you know what I'm talking about when I say that? I've heard HR Puffin stuff. Yeah, but and I I've think you're being kind it. about it. That's what I'm saying. I think you're you're being a little more kind about it. That's what I'm getting at. I'll throw out reference. That's when I started realizing, like, oh shit, people do age, huh? I'd be at work and. I'd be able to, you know, I've always had a lot of pop culture in my humor just because that's how I grew up. I mean, I was just addicted to the television and, uh, and going to theater and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, but you know, bringing stuff up, people would be laughing. And then one day it just clicked. I got a younger set of students or whatever. And they're looking at me like, no, I don't understand what Sanford and son is, or I don't understand. I'm like, Oh God. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for making me feel better about myself. I mean, it could have been, yeah, I might as well be going, to, did you guys ever see Charlie Chaplin? Boy, he was a great guy. You know, it, it makes you feel kind of old. <laughs> you think he was real talkative in real life? He was the silent movie guy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder if he just never shut the fuck up. <laughs> Wouldn't that be ironic? <laughs> God, here comes Charlie again. People hey, like, Charlie. films, he finally shuts the fuck up for a little bit. <laughs> Can we start early? Jesus Christ, this guy won't shut up. <laughs> Oh shit! Is everything okay? Uh, yeah, I apologize, Joe. I got to pause for one quick second here. I got to fix my microphone. That is no problem. Okay, we're back. Technical malfunctions and whatnot. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> now I got one of those boobs for my mic too. They are fucking essential. Yeah, does yours fall out just for no reason like mine did? I thought I spent some good money on this thing. It's It was like a ghost lifted it up or something. I just <laughs> barely touched it, and the whole thing fell into my hand. So sorry if you heard like a big doof, 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 doof right now. No, I didn't hear anything come through. Oh, um, good. But no, yeah, mine will do that. If I monkey with it the wrong way, it'll fall out. 
I'm apparently monkeying it with it too much. So, okay, we're back now. I think everything's stable. We are good to go. <laughs> we were talking all of a sudden. You're just like, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> like, what has happened? <laughs> well, when, the, when you have a heavy microphone heading towards your MacBook, you really want to try to make sure it doesn't hit that because those things are – Oh, no kidding, right? You know, yeah. I'm, I'm not trying to take it over to Apple and spend the same amount I, I, I spent like buying it to have them fix it, you know? <laughs> but anyway. Sorry, I've cheap got, old man I've stuff. I've always wanted one of those. I I never really used Macs too much until I went to school. And after high school, I went to um, a community college in Cedar Rapids and got a degree in graphic design. And so, oh, nice! Everything on there was all MacBooks or was all Mac, and it was on these big giant fucking screens, and it was so much fun. And then the dot com bubble burst, and then it was there were no entry level graphic design jobs to be had in this area. And I wasn't about to move, and so then I just got a job doing some other shit. And so now I have some super outdated graphic design skills. But is it something – like did you design your logo? Yes. Okay. All right. No, you, dude, but that's good. Like do you still utilize that skill? And I mean somewhat. When Back when I was really into climbing, I put together a guidebook for the one of the sport climbing areas in Pictured Rocks and sold quite a few copies of that. And so I kind of used my graphic design skills to do that. But, I mean, it was graphic design using clunky-ass Microsoft Word, which wasn't the best, but turned out okay. Yeah, that's, that's something I've always kind of wanted to get into more. I, I, I like doing that kind of stuff, but a, a, unfortunately, graphic design in my terms means like, oh, let's take this picture that's on the internet and tweak it and then put like a different font on it or something. I'm not really good at it, but it fascinates me. I love people that can do that kind of shit on the fly because there's been times I've needed something and it's like, oh, I don't really know how I'm going to get through this. And luckily a buddy of mine will come through in the clutch and like fix it for me or something. That's a, that's a very valuable skill these days, I think. Yeah. There, there's times where I wonder if, you know, it's like, man, should I have chased that a little bit harder? But I mean, everything I learned was on Mac. And when I got done with school, pretty much the only option if I would have stuck local would have been to try and do something freelance. And I mean, like you just said, MacBooks are not cheap. And so I would have had to have bought all that stuff and bought the programs. And I think now you can more or less just pay like a really low amount. Kind of like how, like I have Microsoft Word right now, but Mm -hmm. I didn't have to pay a buttload of money for Microsoft Word. I just pay like $7 a month. Yeah, it's different now. I mean, back in the day, you could just buy, like I use Photoshop and you could just buy that and you're good to go. And now I apparently I'm renting it. I didn't even really realize I was doing that. I just signed up a lot of, signed up for a lot of things at the same time and kind of just realized, oh yeah, I did uh, get that on subscription. I don't know. Maybe that's, uh, I guess that's a good model for them, but I I like the old days of piracy, Joe. (laughs) You know, just hit the old torrents. Get get what you need. See, I never really, I never really pirated too much stuff. So, so for me, it was I was looking at like, okay, I'm going to buy Creative Suite and I'm going to spend over four hundred dollars on it, and then it's going to be outdated in how many years? Yeah. And so, and so right now with the current model of more or less streaming <laughs> the program to yourself or just paying like a monthly allowance for it or whatever, uh, at least you're always getting the most up to date copy, and you know you got to figure out how many monthly payments is going to take to get you know, how much paid into where it would cost to buy that app. And then, yeah, you got to do the math. Yeah. And then by that time, there's a new version released anyway. And I mean, sure you can upgrade the one you've got, but eventually there comes a point where they're going to rewrite the whole thing. And it's like, okay, we're not doing updates to that anymore. Now you have to buy this new one. And so I don't know from the consumer point of view, I I think paying And granted, I'm saying this, not knowing how much Adobe costs, to, to have those programs on that sort of basis. But 
I, I feel like, you know, at this point it's been, I got my degree in 2002 and I haven't really touched an Adobe program <laughs> since then. And so it's like, yeah, they, you, you, you have a degree in graphic design that you paid several thousand dollars for that is fucking worthless. You could do some dope ass eight bit shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really good at like stealing fonts from the internet and, and look what I've done. But other than that, I don't really have the skill. I admit it. Yeah, not I my go deal. crazy. So fonts is one of those things that I need to stay away from, or I'll fall into a fucking rabbit hole. Be like, oh, I like this one. I like this one. It's like, dude, you're never going to use them. Fucking stop it. Oh, there's times even just for like after recording where I'm like, you know, put the little episode art out, and my wife will just be looking at me like, are you done yet? No, 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 because I can get the right font. See, because this font looks like this movie that we were talking about. So if we put that into the – it's going to be that. Just shut up, Dan. Just uh-huh. just hurry up and get your ass off the computer and come back. Come back home, Dan. Come back home. See, I do that with writing now where like I'll write a paragraph and I'll sit and agonize over the placement of a comma. I'll be like, should I just break this sentence into two smaller sentences? I'm like, well, this is a – this is a perfect example where you can use a semicolon. I'm like, okay, so now what? You're the semicolon guy? You're going to have a semicolon fucking sentence in every paragraph? It's, it's, it's crazy. It's a basket of cats in my head sometimes, Dan, especially if it's a creative process. I like that basket of cat reference right there, <laughs> sir. I mean, I don't appreciate the foul language, but, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, wow. If I'd have known I was coming onto this kind of podcast, I might have thought it through a little bit better. <laughs> this guy uses foul language. Jesus Christ. He said a basket of cats. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, basket of cats threw me. What was I going to ask you? See, now I do that. And anytime, it's always the 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 – the death nail when I go, what was I going to ask you? Because it's now it's gone. Oh, yes, I do know. And if you don't want to talk about this on your show, I totally get it. I, may I ask oh, you a question? I'm no. Well, no, it's just I'm a little embarrassed to say. You may, when you started talking about writing, you are a writer. You have a book, right? That is correct. And that's something that I've been I, – I always when, – when Brian talks about it or you know, I know you've talked about it. Can you please just give me a quick rundown? I don't want to steal your show from you, but I am very curious about it because I, I would be more than more than happy to purchase and I know oh, we could yeah. do this after. I know we could do this after the show. So if you don't want to talk about it, I totally get it. No, that's fine. Um, so yeah, I wrote a book. It's called "I Become Death," and it's on Amazon. So if you get, if you have like, um, you can either read it, read it digitally on like Amazon Kindle app, or you can down, or you can buy a print copy of the book by searching on Amazon for it's "I Become Death," and I um, use the my author name is J. Stark. Okay. All right. Yeah, man, I want to check that out. Yeah, it's it's um, what is it like? Maybe fifty thousand words or something like that. It's a quick read, and it's it's takes place in a a post apocalyptic like a zombie outbreak type world. So it's probably around a decade or so after the outbreak, and by this point, people have pretty much figured out how to deal with zombies. But the worst part, or the the bigger threat that they're dealing with now is the fact that society collapsed and it's chaotic and there's certain bad people out there that took advantage of the situation. And so now, you know, a lot of the world is fairly lawless and society's starting to branch back out a little bit. And what's funny is that I wrote this book back before I really got into reading Marvel comics. And, and so I named one of the organizations in it Hydra and they're, yeah. and they're good guys. And now after as deep into Marvel as I've gotten, I've kind of like face palm. <laughs> you can't go back. Don't beat yourself up. No, but it, it was more I was looking at it is I was calling it Hydra's and yeah, it's I'm going off the same, you know, pull on Take the one. mythological 
creature of take one head off and two grow well not not really that side of it but more just it's it was this great mythical beast that had many different heads and so this organization in, in my book hydra has seven different branches and the first three branches all deal with like the people who are in those branches would be alpha beta charlie they deal with just kind of policing areas that hydra is already pacified they've gone through they've swept they've made sure that there's no zombies there they've resettled them with people they're restarting society over there's like a new law that's kind of in this area and stuff and and you really don't have to worry this this land has been pacified and so now there's this ever widening ring you know going around this territory where they're slowly starting to to take everything back and so that'd be alpha bravo charlie they're more or less you know like police officers Security guards, that sort of shit. Yeah. And then Alpha, Bravo, Charlie. Then there's Delta. Nobody really talks about Delta. And then there's Echo, Foxtrot, Gamma would be five, six, and seven. And so those are the ones that deal outside the fenced area. They're the ones that actually go out and, like, Gamma's the pinnacle. They're the ones that go actually building to building. They'll go inside a fucking hospital building. And pry open the doors where it says all dead and the doors are bulged out. And then they go in and, you know, precise headshots, melee combat. And they're able to take out these zombies that are then stuck in these buildings. And they go through building to building and clear them all and make sure an entire city is mostly free of zombies before then they resettle that city and bring people in. And so the book that that I wrote, it, it follows this gamma team that gets a mission to where... They need to escort an agent that's a uh, Delta agent that nobody talks about. Delta Mm -hmm. are the assassins that go out and take out these warlords. And so they have to take out this warlord, but then they find out that this warlord is a little bit special, harder to deal with because he was one of the founding members of Hydra. And so he knows exactly how Hydra operates. And so this agent that they're sending in, they need to surprise this guy and if you were in a countryside filled with zombies, I want you to think especially what Chicago was like when you were there at the end of February. Yeah. If you're a zombie and it's 2 o'clock in the morning and it's freezing out, you're frozen solid, right? Right. So wintertime would be the best time, in my opinion, to go out and run field operations in a post-apocalyptic zombie world, right? And so right. that's when this this guy who's going to be expecting attacks on him is in the middle of winter. Because who the fuck's going to go out in the middle of summer? That's where my gamma team comes in. They need to escort. They are all professionals at dealing hand-to-hand fighting zombies. You know, they wear special armor for it and everything. They're elite. And so they get tasked with this mission to escort this sniper or this assassin, this Delta assassin, through uncleared territory and sneak up on this guy when he's not expecting it. And that's what the whole I Become Death book is about, is this mission and and where it goes sideways and, and how they rally through and all that. And I had a shitload of fun writing it. And, it sounds great. Um, I'm like, full disclosure, I'm not like, I've not seen every single zombie movie. Um, zombie movies are generally ones where I the, the those are definitely ones where they'll give me anxiety where I'm getting pissed off. Why are you doing this? This is so stupid. And so, yeah. so you know, it's like yes, there are zombies in my book, but it has much more to do with the the human element of what humans some people would do to 
you know, make things better for them at the expense of others if chaos breaks loose. And that see, that's where it counts, in my opinion, because, you know, you can only have, excuse me, you can only have so many zombies before you start to just, they, they just, you get numb to them, if you will. I mean, I granted if you're, if you're in that environment, that's not going to be the case, but I'm talking about from a viewer or a reader standpoint, you know, it's a zombie, zombie, zombie. It's going to get a little played out. But I think that's where a lot of stories excel is that they do focus on that human aspect because that's what we can relate to. You know what I mean? You can't really relate to a zombie, but you can, what, what would you do hypothetically in a situation like that? And that's where the fun begins. And I love how, when someone can build a good story like that, you know, I'm not, I'm not the biggest, like I love zombie movies. Don't get me wrong, but I don't have them all memorized and I can't, you know, wax philosophically about them. There's like a one called one cut of the dead. And I'm told that I'm a fool for not seeing this movie yet, but just you know, just to state my case, I, I'm not the biggest zombie guy. There's bigger people out there, but I love zombie stories because of that. Because of how humans come together and fight these things off, and you know the the, the conflicts that they have, and you, you see the good rise out of people, and you see the people that we have started out good become evil. I love all that shit. So exactly. I'm sold, dude. Like, I'm sold. I'm like, if you start out good, and something bad happens, can it compromise you? Like, yeah. How, how do you react to that? And so that's that's kind of one of the themes in in this story is is why the bad guy is the way he is. Like how how did he go from being one of these people that was trying to help everybody and and clear you know clear these areas and and restart society? How does he go from that to being a warlord that's brutal? You know and and I, I really kind of you know, I Become Death is, is a book that I'm kind of proud of because it's one that I'd actually written it a long time ago and then tried to get it published through like official means. Like I tried to get a literary agent and all that. And that's a fucking, that's a soul sucking process right there, dude. And, just beat you up. Oh yeah. Because when you send your inquiry letter in to try and get them to even look at you, you have to include a self-addressed stamped envelope. So that they don't even have to pay 37 cents to tell you to go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll tell you what, when you're anxiously checking the mail every day and you open up the P.O. box and you see a fucking self-addressed stamped envelope and you're like, oh, because no way are they going to send you back the acceptance letter in your own fucking. In your own. So, yeah. You know? Yeah. And so it's like, oh, and so. I wrote that book. I, I went really hard trying to thinking that, you know, this is the only way I'm going to be able to get this done. I don't know how to reach out to actual publishers. I mean, I assume it's the same process for that. You're sending somebody in a submission area of a publishing house, just random pages of a book and a cover letter. And you got to try and sell the idea to them that way. That was, that was hard to do. And then I, I got into climbing and then that turned into a full blown obsession. <laughs> and then kind of when, when that was, when I got, the injuries that sidelined me from that. And then I started getting more into podcasting and stuff. And that was when um, I hadn't released uh, Startcast yet, but I was doing a lot of talking with people in the leftover army. And this was, you know, back in the day when there was like 30 people on the army page. Right. And, and so, you know, it was, it was a smaller, it was, it was very much like what heroes of noise community is right now, where it's like, it's a real tight knit community of the people that were, you know, I, and I'm not saying that I was there from the beginning on that, but as far as the page goes, I was there early enough to to still catch that village vibe of it, you yeah. know, where everybody's super supportive of everything they're doing. And because I was around people like that, I was like, you know what? These people are so these people are great. They're they're encouraging, you know, like other artists and stuff that are in the group. I'm gonna 
I'm going to put myself out there and I'm going to do it and I'm going to see what I need to do to get at least released on digital because that's something I know I can do myself. And so I looked up, how do you get this released on digital? Well, Kindle is one of the biggest markets for digital books. Let's see what I got to do for that. And it's like, oh, you just got to have it formatted a certain way. That's fucking easy. You just read through the directions and then you go through and you adjust your Word document so it has the right margins, has the right page breaks, all that shit in it. And then you submit it. It goes through an application process. And then I had to come up with like a, a cover picture for it. And so I, I used like an old leather journal that a, a friend had given me to uh, to journal in and my Glock 19 and then just a wooden desk. Hmm. And I was, I was like, or my Glock 17 is a full frame Glock. Um, and I'm like, this is a pretty, you know, this kind of works. Like, okay, they're zombie hunters. They're keeping track of things. They got a sidearm with them. It's conceivable that, that this would be on Frank's desk. You know, it is forward operating base that he'd have a little journal where he's keeping track of things. And he's got a sidearm sitting on top of it. And, and so that was a really fun experience. And I, you know, put it up and, and shared it on the army page and some people read it. And, and then about a year later, I get an email from the Kindle direct publishing. So if you were to look, if, like if you've got your own book and it's something that you want to look into, look up uh, Kindle direct publishing. I think it's like kdp.com. There's probably more to it than that, but Kindle direct publishing will kind of steer you in the right direction. If you've got something that, that you're trying to get out there, I, I highly recommend you to go that direction because the other thing that's cool about that is you can get it printed in digital. You can get it printed in you know, like a, a, a print-to-order type thing. So that's how I Become Death is. Is They're not sitting on a whole bunch of copies of this book, but they're, they have a fast enough turnaround at the press that Amazon has that somebody orders a copy of this, they're shipping it to your house in a couple of days. Like it's that's printed super just cool. for you, which is fucking great. And it's still about the same price as a paperback. It's not, you know, it's, it isn't like you're going out and spending all this extra money on something that, you know, somebody had to get a, a low run of books published for. And I'm not sitting on... You know, some case in my closet that has a hundred books in it that I'm sweating. Oh my God, how am I going to sell these? You know, I had to do a Kickstarter to, you know, and, and more power to those creators like with comics and stuff that go in and do the Kickstarter and put all this money in up front. Um, I got a lot of respect for them for doing that. But the the thing that I love so much with Amazon is that it didn't put me in that position to where I had to put a bunch of money in up front. Um, yeah, go in debt before the book's even out. Exactly. And and also the the cool thing with this is that um, you can get it done through Audible also. All you have to do is supply the files. And I'm a podcaster. I have studio mics and Audacity and everything. I can go through and, and do this, but it's just the time of doing it, reading the book into the mic, and then the the excruciating process of going through and editing it and making sure that you cleared all the stumbles in everything out. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. And so I've got the first, it's a 10 chapter book and I got the first five chapters all recorded. I got the first chapter that's, I released that as a special Starcast episode a while back. And so that one's already done and in the canon. So then I just got to go through and edit chapters two, three, four, and five, and then record six, seven, eight, nine, and 10 and edit those. And then I can upload it and have it on audible, which I need to fucking do because most but, people but, listen to books. But this is a thing, though. You are going to do this. Yeah. Yeah. It's, That's just, awesome. it's been a very slow process. That's okay, man. I, I'm really happy to hear that. That's great. Good for you. I love writing, though, dude. I've, I've always been a, a creative writer at heart. Like when I was in high school, um, 
<clears throat> I used to write lots of like, I'd call it poetry, but it didn't follow line and meter. It didn't rhyme. So it really wasn't poetry. It was just freeline prose that, you know, in retrospect, a lot of it was pretty pretentious from like depressed fucking Oh yeah, seventeen year old. I had I have some of that too. Yeah, like listened to way too much Nine Inch Nails in the (laughs) nineties. Jesus, man, are we the same person? I mean, it's seriously the same. Like, dude, like, there's some tracks on Downward Spiral where I'm just like, I don't want to go there again. I'll 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 listen to uh, March of the Pigs over and over again because to me that's like an incredibly energetic, happy song. But there's some shit on Downward Spiral where I'm like, dude, I don't want, I don't even want to revisit the headspace that Teenage Joe is in. But um, it, it, Teenage you know, Joe was quite the fucking audiophile, though. Like I could have well, talked, to, I could have talked music with you back then, dude. I, I could struggle to do it now, though. If you want to go there, <laughs> hey, you know I'm always up to talk music, man. <laughs> Did you ever listen to Henry Rollins, or were you familiar with Henry uh, Rollins? I'm sure you've seen him before, or whatever. But like okay. with Black Flag, or or the Rollins Band, for that matter. Oh, oh, okay, dude. Oh man, I listened to the Box Life, his spoken word album, on cassette tape when I was in seventh grade. Okay, this is where I'm going. Real quick, before you go any further, did Henry Rollins have anything to do with your poetry writing? It might have. <laughs> Dude, I I got I on some shit where I was books too. Yeah, I got on some shit where I was reading a bunch of Henry Rollins and it was like uh my girlfriend at the time had broken up with me. Turns out she ended up marrying me, but my wife has put me through a lot when I was younger. <laughs> so like it's not her fault or anything. We were just kids and growing up, but like yeah. that was the time when I was like really into Henry Rollins. So somewhere in a box in my garage or maybe even in my closet, there's just a bunch of like self-hating poetry that I did. I was in the, in the vein of Henry Rollins. I mean, I just thought sometimes I'd write this shit out. I'm like, that's brilliant. That's fucking brilliant. <laughs> you know? And then of course she'd like, what's this? No, 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 don't read that. Don't read that. You know, it's nothing bad. I was nothing bad towards her, but like I was getting my emotions out, you know? And I really, I really relate to when you said that because I remember going through that and I'm just, I had to have my journal and I was just writing and writing and writing. Yeah. And if I was to go back now, it would be like a, I think I'd probably be mortified most of the time of reading some of this. I'm sure some of it would be okay, but back then I'm like, why am I not famous? You know, <laughs> why is no, why is no one else feeling the pain that I feel in the world? It's pretty silly. Old man Rollins, man. No, he he shaped a lot of the opinions I have. Like listening to Box Life over and over again when I was a kid. You know, it it that's why I think it, it that there's some directions that I lean is because I was influenced by that at a very young influential age, you know, and I was, you know, growing up in this small town and I don't, there's some things that I have like the rural mindset of, but then there's a lot of things that I just don't. I just, there's so many things around people that I went to high school with and peer group and stuff that the shit that they were into, I was just not, you know what I mean? Like I just, sure. I couldn't, I, I like the thought of like, okay, what are you guys doing tonight? Okay, you watch football. Yeah, let's drink Bush Light. <laughs> no, I, I can't. I can't fucking do that shit. Like, it's, like it, it's I. I tried to make myself be interested in that sort of shit for the longest amount of time, and then finally, I just threw up my hands and said, "I fuck it." I, I, and then you know, around that time, discovering shit like Henry Rollins, and then that led into then me discovering fucking metal. And then being like, yes, everything must be heavy. <laughs> you were a metalhead too, Joe? Oh, dude. Like the first time I listened to fucking Pantera Far Beyond Driven, I was like, this is my fucking shit. And then from there, <laughs> I went even deeper. And so then I'm fucking listening to Sepultura. 
Ah, Sepultura. Oh, the fucking Brazilian drums in that are so fucking amazing. Chaos AD. It was one of the first cassette tapes I bought with my own money. I saw Sepultura's first American show. No shit. Yeah, it was at the Omni in Oakland, and my friend uh, Carl Foley. This band doesn't exist anymore, but you could find them on on iTunes or something like that. There's a band called Epidemic. There's another band since called Epidemic, but that was their name, and they were like this thrash metal band from Oakland. So we were way into them, and we went to go check them out. And it just so happens that this band called Sepultura was opening up, and they I didn't even know who they were when I bought the ticket for the show. And then I don't know if you're familiar with that album, Beneath the Remains. That was like their like their first American release. And that shit just blew me away. So when I found out that they were going to be there too, man, it, it was it was such an incredible show. I was awesome. so into Sepultura back then, man. I had a big starstruck moment that night. I remember I was a, I wasn't old enough to be in the bar, but you could still kind of like meander around the bar a little bit, you know. Yeah. And uh, so of course I'm doing that because there was a but back then, you know, Bay Area thrash was huge. So at any given time, you could walk into a room. And see Kirk Hammett sitting there or James Hetfield sitting there or whatever. I remember like it was just a really weird vibe. You could go to bookstores because they're people, of course. But like yeah. I remember going to like a bookstore and like running into Lars Ulrich. They were just always around, you know. And, and to me, celebrity always kind of gives me the idea of, oh, you're, you're removed from everybody. You have people doing these kind of things for you. When you go out, it's a big event, you know. But no, it was, it was just so down to earth. So getting back to this bar – I remember walking in and this is – we're talking like 87 Hetfield, the cool Hetfield, yes. you know, the, the fucking long hair, head banging, master, master of puppets, puppets, you know. <laughs> exactly. And the dude was my fucking idol and I just walked in and I remember it was me and my friend and uh, his girlfriend and I was talking and I look up and I stopped talking because I was so starstruck because they were like the biggest thing to me. Metallica was my life back then. Uh-huh. And uh, and I'm watching James Hetfield talk to a guy named Alex Skolnick who's from a band called Testament. And they're just sitting there and they're just, you know, having a conversation. And that is just the weirdest thing to me to see my idol standing there or right. sitting there and just having a normal conversation. So I'm fully involved in this, right? Like I'm trying to read lips and shit and I'm just trying to see what they're talking about. And I remember James Hetfield kind of looked at me and, and you know that like when you're at a concert, you're like, I think he looked at me. One of those kind of things, you know, like you're, yeah. you're, I think we made eye contact. So I'm like, oh shit. Oh shit. I think we made eye contact. But as opposed to just like – being a normal human being and like turning around and trying to play it off, I'm into it more now, right? So I'm really staring now thinking, is he going to look back at me and we're going to have that moment, you know? And we did. So he turns and he looks at me and I'm staring at him and I'm sure I'm jaw dropped, fucking pimple faced kid with curly hair, just like, (laughs) just, you know, Metallica shirt, all beat to shit, just staring at him. And obviously you can't see what I'm doing, but he just like looks at me and he just puts his hands up like, what the fuck are you looking at? <laughs> and I went, oh, oh, my God. And I just turned around and walked away. And that was my only experience ever meeting James. <laughs> I didn't even meet him. But like, after that, there was actually chances where I could have. And I'm like, nah, I think I'm scarred for life. Remember. I don't want to. You'll remember me. Exactly. You're that pimply face fucking kid that wouldn't stop staring at me. So stupid. Teenage logic. But yeah, man. Your hero that, gave you the what the fuck are you looking it at? It totally did. Totally did. Like – like, take a fucking picture. Like, that's the look he gave me. And I just felt so like, do, 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 just totally low, man. But at the same time, it completely made my night because I had an exchange with James Hetfield. Because at that time, man, that's what I, I, I didn't invent the term. I think I read it somewhere. But there was a thing called 87 Hetfield. Like, if something was awesome, oh, that's 87 Hetfield, you know? And I just remember thinking, I'm fucking standing right in front of 87 Hetfield right now. And Jesus Christ, man, I made a fool out of myself. The other time I remember uh, talking about bookstores, I was um, 
we had gone to an, I used to go to concerts like all the time, me concert or a gig, you know what I mean? Like concert being like a big thousand people venue thing. And then the gig being like a club of 200 or something, but we would go to San Francisco constantly to see shows. And it would always be like me and my friends, younger, nobody's married, no girlfriends crashed out in the same room, flopped on top of each other, like a fucking bunch of puppies or something. And, um, I woke up early. I had just gotten together with my girlfriend, uh, my wife at the time, and I was going to go like buy her something. So I walked out down the street and I walked into this bookstore and I'm sitting there and I see this little kid. He's running around and he's got a – do you know what Blue's Clues is? Yeah. OK. You're a parent. You know what Blue's Clues is. But uh, <laughs> yeah, there's this kid running around with a Blue's Clues shirt on and my kid – wait. I think I'm changing the story up. No, no, no. I apologize. I, I, was, I almost told you a falsity. I was already married. I was the only one that was married and I had a kid. That's what it was. Not that important, but it would make me seem like a liar if I didn't correct myself. So I'm in the bookstore and I see this kid running around the Blues Clues shirt. And I'm like, oh, I want to get my kid a Blues Clues shirt. I think he was probably like two years old or something. So I just walked up to his dad who was down tying his shoe, kneeling down tying his shoe. And I went, excuse me, where did you get this Blues Clues shirt? And Lars Ulrich looks up at me. (laughs) And I'm like, holy fucking shit. And uh, I, I didn't know what to say, so I, I didn't I, – I gave him the old, like, oh, hey, like I know who you are and I didn't know what else to say. And then he's just like, oh, I think I got it at like Kmart or something like that. You know, <laughs> uh, uh, I don't know, someplace. You know, I'm like, oh, God, I'm having this weird fucking conversation with, with uh, Lars Ulrich. But, uh, That's amazing. Yeah, man. It's just weird. I don't even know why I started talking about it other than the fact that Bay Area thrash back in the day was such a communal – environment and you could just go to these shows and just see all of your favorite people you could sit there and talk to them and buy them drinks and it was much like how i mean like i i don't think that you would truly see something like that and we can talk rock and roll because i'm sure you'll know what i'm talking about but like if you let's go to like say the hair metal bands we're talking like like motley Crue and things like that there's a yeah, different l- happen exactly there's a different level of classification or or just ego what have you and you just didn't have that kind of environment, you know? And, and to me, I almost liken that, like that Bay Area thrash scene to say like Twitter. You know, you can go on Twitter and you can have conversations with celebrities. Now, it's quite common. Like everyone does that, you know? I mean, I've gotten interviews on my other show just by simply reaching out. And it's so, it's so, everything's so accessible now. But back then, it was just so unheard of. And to have like a large Ulrich look up and talk Kmart and Blues Clues with me, that was a really, really fucking weird experience. Very surreal, you know? But <laughs> it's something that was really cool about that, that whole community thing. Oh, no kidding. Um, my, uh, one of my friends told me a story that he met James Hetfield in a bar in Montana, like in the 80s. Yeah. And like he had no clue who he was. And it was like he was just this dude that he was playing pool with. And he's like, You do what? You're in a band? Metallica? Oh, okay. I'll look it up. <laughs> Whatever, Jack. Huh? He said yeah. after the fact, he was like, Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. But he was That's like, crazy. He was like, he, he, The guy seemed to like genuinely enjoy the fact that he was talking to somebody that had no idea who he was. Yeah, I think they definitely appreciate that. I, I, I could imagine it just being super cumbersome to always have to be. Maybe not necessarily like, you know, like a, a character, if you will, but just always having to, hi, how you doing? Let me sign your thing. Let me take a picture, whatever. Just even the fact of people just coming up and constantly complimenting you. I, I'm assuming that that'd have to be very, it'd have to get old really quick. You know? I'd imagine it would. The, it, because there's a certain level to it where it's an invasion of privacy because. Certainly, I mean, yeah. When I'm out and about, you know, it's like, I. It'd be weird to just have somebody that you don't know just walk up and be like, oh, hey, Joe. Awesome, dude. Hey, yeah. Can we get a selfie? Like, that'd be, you know, for the right person might be like all about that. But then I don't know if the average person would be all about that. And, you know, like you covered already, these celebrities, they're people too. 
they started off just the same as everybody else. So, you know, for sure there's a, there's a, there's gotta be a percentage of them that just really eat that shit up and love it. But maybe even for them, it's got to get old and just have a point where it's just sucks. Right. I guess so. I don't know if that would be me though, man. I got to tell you when, <laughs> when I went to see 2 e 2 and someone was like, Hey, I listened to your show. I was like, thank you. Thank you so much. I had no fucking clue. People were listening to the show. I'm like, that was, that was awesome. But yeah. And in all seriousness, I think it would get old though. Um, I have a story much like your friends where I went to go see the beastie boys. Uh, hopefully you haven't, this isn't like a retread. Maybe I have to tell this on the show. I can't remember, but it was at Santa Barbara bowl. And uh, this outdoor venue, I went to go see the Beastie Boys for like – it was like Check Your Head or something like that. Nice. And um, one of the albums, but uh, Ill Communication perhaps. But I remember my wife and I and a couple of friends were walking up the steps to go into the, the bowl part of the venue. And at the, at the foot of the steps, there's this dude and he's handing out CDs. Hey, this is my band. This is my band. There's a lot of that at those shows. You know what I mean? A lot of times you know, you, 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 you'll come back to your car and you've got like flyers for 10 different bands that are playing next week. You know, that kind of uh-huh. vibe. So this guy is just like handing out CDs. This is my band. And, and I look at the CD and the CD says date rape on it. And I'm all, the fuck is this? You know, <laughs> I was like, wow. Yeah. I'll be this listening to this real. I'll, let me just file this in the never listening to it. But I, I kind of like blew him off. Like, yeah, whatever. And I put it, I wasn't rude, of course, but I just wasn't sticking around to ask about his hit song date rape, you know? <laughs> so fucking like course. And I remember putting the CD in my backpack. And I didn't really think about it anymore. But, you know, when someone tells you I have a song called Date Rape, it's going to stick in your head. Yeah. I don't know where you know where I'm going with this. But about two weeks later, uh, again, I used to go to concerts in the Bay Area all the time. Me and my buddy are going to see Primus. And we're, we're going down the, the freeway. And there's a station there. I think not K-Rock. It doesn't matter. It was one of their – it was the Bay Area like alternative station. And they're all – yeah, and this is from the new band Sublime – and this song's called Date Rape. <laughs> so what happened was once I like, I was like, huh? I stopped for a second. I told my buddy, hey, dude, look at my backpack real quick. And he looked in the <laughs> backpack. He pulls out the fucking CD. I'm like, oh, my God. And it was fucking Bradley Knoll, the oh, singer of Sublime. Shit. And I was just like, yeah, whatever. Give me a CD, you dick. And I just walked out. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Yeah, man. I know. Sorry. My bad. I love Sublime, man. They're so good. Yeah, I know. There's a lot of people that just don't dig them. But they were always the right vibe for me. I don't know. Absolutely. I mean, it's. What's, what's not to like? It's good time music, you know? I remember years ago I had a job in a liquor department of a super uh, supermarket. And yeah. This store had a drive through window for the liquor department. And there was this one guy who used to come through. He was a mail carrier. And he'd always come through and he was done with his route. And he'd always get two 40s of St. Ides. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So he went on to become Ice Cube. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's old white dude, right? Really cool guy though. And um, one day he pulls up and like – and I was always friendly with him. I, I always thought it was cool that it was an old white dude coming and getting two 40s on St. Ides. I'm like, you fucking kidding me? Here you go, gangster. So I'd always be like, dude, have you ever tried Mickey's? Oh, the Mickey's big mouth. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, um, and so one day this guy just out of the blue, he's like, he's like, hey, I was on my route today and I found this um, – you remember we used to have the visor things that you'd put CDs in? Yes. Uh huh. He found one of those laying on the side of the road. And so he picked it up and he was like going through and listening to all the music in it. And he goes, do you know who this Bradley Knoll is? And mm-hmm. I looked and I went, what? And he like holds up the CD and it looked like a CDR. And it was like handwritten Bradley Knoll oh. friends. And I'm like, what the fuck? I'm like, that's a singer for sublime. I'm like, that looks like a fucking like mixtape thing. He goes, do you want it? And I'm like, yeah. 
And yeah, so, I want it. And so for the longest time, I thought I was carrying around a fucking mixtape that was actually made. Turns out they released one and printed the fucking <laughs> CD to look like that, and I'm a moron. <laughs> I remember that. I actually didn't remember it until you, you finished the story, but I remember that fucking CD. That's funny. System of a Down did something like that, too, I remember. There's oh, like no Steal shit. This Album. I think it's called Steal This Album, but oh. it looked like a, like just a regularly burned CD. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah, that's what the, and that one was great, man. It, and it had just all sorts of recordings and stuff from him. Like, you know, playing different live shows and, and like slightly different versions of some of the songs. And it was a great album, man. It got a lot of play. I was so happy that, that guy just gave it to me. Being that you have an anxiety around people or at least large crowds, were you into going to concerts? Did you see a lot of live shows? I've only been to like maybe three concerts in my life, which is kind of funny because each one was a different genre of music. Hey, you're getting out there, you know, you're stretching your wings, spreading your wings. <laughs> so when I was in when I was in middle school, and keep in mind, this is when I was like starting to get into metal and shit like that. But like my family's like still very much into like pop country. Mm-hmm. And so my mom and my sister uh bought tickets, and I think I think my aunt went as well, bought tickets to see Reba McIntyre and Sawyer Brown was opening up for him. Okay. And, and I remember I, Sawyer Brown. Yeah, and so and I'd never been to a uh Dude, speaking of Sawyer Brown, I know you're not really into country, and I'm not really into country either. Um, albeit Sturgill Simpson, I, I he's technically country. Have you ever heard any Sturgill Simpson? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. My first introduction to him was the Dead Don't Die, but oh, then man. afterwards I went and kind of went back and listened. I like Sturgill Simpson actually. Sturgill Simpson, dude, his Sailor's Guide to was it Sailor's Guide to the World, something like that. That album is so fucking incredible, dude. It's like a bunch of songs that like are basically like a dad imparting like wisdom to his kid. And so he wrote the whole thing, I think, when his son was like when his wife was maybe pregnant with his son or something. But there's certain like there's a certain mood where if I listen to certain albums on that song, I'm a fucking just crybaby mess. And start blubbering, huh? Yeah, because I think about, you know, like like the very first thing when it's opening up, like the the very first track where he's like like saying a letter to his son and saying that, you know, there's going to be times where where I'm not there and, and you're not seeing me because I'm out on the road. But I want you to know that, that you're always on, like you're the thing that's on my mind when I'm out. Oh, I'm just, Jesus. Ah. <laughs> you know? I, like, I feel that. <laughs> I'm at work and I'm on the road. <laughs> I'm a terrible fucking father. Oh, my God. <laughs> but um, there's this one Sawyer Brown song called The Walk. And dude, uh-huh. that song will fucking destroy you. It's this song about how this this guy, you know, when he's a kid and he does these things with his dad and his dad's helping him and his dad's telling him, I got to tell this real slow or I will break down. Oh. And his dad's telling him, you know, hey, I did this walk. You know, you'll do it someday too. And then the last verse is him putting his dad into a nursing home. Oh, Jesus. And his dad's saying, I get it. It's okay. I did this walk one day. And, whoa, every time, dude. <laughs> like, Man, the power of music can do that, though, dude. It I mean, like, can. And it's like, yeah. man, I don't like country. I really don't like pop country. I think it's fucking gross for the most part. But you play that fucking Sawyer Brown song for me, and I will fucking cry. It is goddamn beautiful. But anyway, so I went and saw that concert, and I, I didn't want to go, and I kind of got drug along to it, but it ended up being begrudgingly entertaining. Sawyer Brown was fucking so energetic and funny live. And, I mean, Reba McIntyre is Reba McIntyre. She's she's incredible. Um, but then I went for a while without seeing a show, but then I'd heard, then I got into metal, and it was 1995 now. 
and then Pantera and White Zombie. In the Ooh, Death good Tones, show. Where Ooh. Be, yes. And I Hate God was the opening act. Uh, never heard of them before. They were very heavy, and at one point they threw out a bag of weed into the crowd, and so that was kind of the funny part of their performance. <laughs> we hate God, but we love weed. Have some America. <laughs> uh, $20 bag. Threw yeah. <laughs> Did he just yell $20 bag? Um, and so I went and saw that when it's I was fun catching drumsticks and guitar picks, man. That's where you want to be, right? <laughs> I came away with one of Dimebag Daryl's guitar picks from that show. I have one from the, uh, the uh, Vulgar Display of Power nice. tour. Out of curiosity, you may not remember this, but I'm a geek for this kind of shit. Was your pick scratched, like intentionally put grooves into it for like, is it like a grip type of thing? No, it, it was more towards – I don't think it was one that he had used because it would look oh, like it okay. was in really good shape. And it was towards the end of the show and he had like a, like a cup next to him full of picks. Gotcha. And so then he took that cup and just kind of like threw it out like confetti around the crowd and like everybody around me just all of a sudden like dropped to their hands and knees just looking around and I looked down and there was one right next to my foot and so I just casually moved my foot over it and then bent down picked it up and put it in my pocket and walked away fastly that's something I wish I could just say I collect them I mean I do collect them but it's very rare now that I'm going to get that close to the stage where I can even bother like I'm not fighting with people for shit anymore you know what I mean yeah for real (laughs) but like yeah yeah but I mean I have a few I was really into that for a while like I have one from um I have an Anthrax guitar pick from a guitar player that was uh, named Dan Spitz that used to be with them. Uh, I've got uh, – it had Bart Simpson on it. I have a Jeff Hanneman from Slayer pick. Uh, Pantera. Ah, hell, I'm drawing a blank right now. I think a Deftones pick. And I don't know. But it's like a – you know those little um, – you know the little ring box, like "Will you marry me?" You open up the box. Yeah. That's what I keep. That's what I keep them in. I haven't touched them forever, but now I'm all nostalgic. Like that's I want to go cool. back catching drumsticks and shit. That was always like the best. Oh, it's like you'd be amazing. You have been gifted. You know what I mean. That was that always made my night with catching a drumstick. I caught a. Um, I don't know if you're into Tool, but I had a a Danny Carey drum head for a while that I caught. Oh wow! Yeah, dude, yeah. Tool's amazing. When um that was one of the bands that I got into really young because I remember in like a seventh grade music class we were all each supposed to bring in some example of the music you listen to and so this was you know back where i was there was all these different bands i was into and it was just me and a couple other friends at school that were really into them everybody else was listening to this fucking lame-ass fucking radio shit so i'm like this is my time to shine and this is a hard decision to make and i was really considering doing uh tool i was probably just gonna do sober but it was i remember it was one of the songs on the undertow album i'm thinking it was sober and then I was like, well, Great album. no, he has the part where he swears and he says, Jesus blows his fucking whistle and we're not supposed to have any swearing. So that vetoed that one out. And so then I went with Jesus built my hot rod by ministry <laughs> and like the music. Do you remember how that starts off with the guy doing that speech at the beginning? Da-da, ding, dang, my dang, a long ding dong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All of a sudden I found myself in love with the world <laughs> and knew there was only one thing I could do. Um, and then it like goes into the beat drops and it's all loud and heavy and shit. And so while that thing is playing at the beginning, the music teacher turns it up really loud so we can all hear it. And I know the drop's coming. And she had a fucking heart attack when the song <laughs> kicks in. It was so loud. And like she didn't even play the entire song. And I was like, everybody else, we had to sit through their shit. <laughs> you don't even play all of Jesus Built My Heart Rod. Fuck this place. It's fucking ministry. For- <laughs> oh. I like that you were into ministry, man. I got to see them a couple times too. They were really, really brutal. Like, you know, like 
I hate calling them mosh pits, but just for reference, like a pit, you know, like yeah. a mosh pit. I have never seen a more brutal mosh pit than ministry. It was like a Lollapalooza tour and I'm going to sound old as fuck, but it was like 92. And I just remember it was at this place called the Shoreline Amphitheater. So I'm in the seats oh, and then there's place. like a, it's beautiful, beautiful sound too. But there's a, a grass area. And um, like most amphitheaters. But anyway, I remember looking up and just – it had to have been at least 200 people just going as fucking hard as they could right in the middle of the lawn. Never seen anything like that before, man. I'm like, oh, I love rock and roll so much. <laughs> yeah, that mosh so pit much. at the Pantera show was pretty fucking wild. But, you know, and then – so let's see. So I went to a metal concert there then and then I think it was in like 2001 I saw uh, Tantric – Lifehouse and Three Doors Down. And Three Doors Down was shockingly heavy in concert. You know, um, it's funny that you mentioned them. They were always kind of like a uh, like a band I would sort of just keep to myself, but I really liked them. I just didn't want people to know uh, I really liked them. Yeah, I could sing I knew the I could sing along with every single song that was on that album. I'd be like, fuck three it. doors down. Then I get in my car, be like, You're getting closer. Yeah. <laughs> If I, I can put my fist up. Step back from that ledge, my friend. <laughs> wait, wait, hold on. Isn't that? Isn't that? Isn't that? Uh, uh, shit! It's not three doors down. That, oh, that is was uh, third eye blind. Third eye blind. Got, there is I, a three in it, though. It's okay. God There's damn a three. It, I fucked that up. I thought you said third eye blind. <laughs> it's alright. Now no I worries. just admitted to loving third eye blind. <laughs> Fuck! I gotta go. This has been a nice, fun time, Joe. But uh, <laughs> you know, you know what? I don't know what it was. Life is a fucking super disturbing song that most people yes. think is a very happy song. Yeah, it's all happy, and this is talking about they don't like even being play a, the real version of it on the radio. They being cut out to all mess. the really juicy shit. Okay, hold the phone. There's more to the song. I've never dug that deep into it, dude. The song is like all about being addicted to crystal meth. Yeah, I mean, I, I always knew that because doing crystal meth will bring you up until you break whatever he says. Okay, but, there's, uh, a, there's a part where if you listen to the album version, it like really kicks up, and they cut the whole part out on the on the the radio version and it's like uh the plane came in she said she was crashing the velvet it rips in the city we tripped on the urge to feel alive now i'm stuck in to survive those days you were wearing that velvet dress y'all the priestess i must confess those little red panties they pass the test slip them up around your belly face down on the mattress one and they cut that <laughs> whole part out in the radio version I have heard that before. Maybe that. Maybe it's just certain radio versions. It maybe like be. where you were from, but it could that's be. still. But you're right, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> People are like, I'm talking about meth. That hits close to home. Hey, hey, <laughs> hold on a second here. Meth and panties. Come on now. There I go. Look, I went back to that stupid accent again. See that? Don't be talking about panties around here, boy. Much less meth. Don't do that meth either. That's funny. Yeah, but it was a super happy song, and it's like you don't expect those lyrics to be going with do yes. do 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 do. Exactly. That's funny, man. Exactly, dude. <laughs> That's really funny. But yeah, hey, two things. Down. I liked them live. Do you know their their lead singer is like their drummer? Wait, wait, what? Yeah, their lead singer is the drummer. So when they're doing like the studio album, he's the one doing the singing and the studio drumming. But then when they play live, they just have a road drummer. Oh, I did not know that. What's that guy's name? Steven something. Anyway, yeah, I know you're talking about. Not, I did not know that. You taught me a fun fact today. I'm, Google that. I'm pretty sure that's the case. Call your bullshit right well, now, Joe. I remember there was one point in the concert <laughs> where they brought out another uh, another drum kit. And like he was like had like the headset mic on and he was drumming and singing. And I was like, well, look at this motherfucker go. This guy, this show off over here. Tantric was, was the that? one that surprised the shit out of me in that show. I was like, this guy's voice is just as good live as it is on the radio. 
Stephen Jenkins was his name. Ah. It was driving me crazy. But I don't know. I won't. I won't. Uh, I won't bore listeners with me looking through Wikipedia to find out if it is. But I'll take your word for it, man. Speaking of two drummers, did you ever see Godsmack? Uh, I never saw. Oh, so them you just live, you just told me three shows. Never. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, I was gonna say I've told you all of my life. Shows. <laughs> You're like, dude, pay attention. I'm talking. Here. <laughs> but Godsmack's one of those bands that I re- their first album just came out of fucking nowhere, and yeah. that first album reminds me of hanging out at my buddy Phil's house. Phil dropped out of school and started doing concrete work. And so at the time when all the rest of us were still in school, he had lots of money and lots of pot. And so it was fun to go over to Phil's house and do bong hits. And if you were hanging out at Phil's house, you were listening to Godsmack. And so now whenever I hear that, it reminds me of that basement. The good time Phil. We always always have a good time Phil. Everyone has a good time Phil, right? He has a good time Phil. (laughs) Did you ever see uh, – I'm not saying this is how he was, but did you happen to see that movie that's that's out right now? It's called Big Time Adolescence. Yes, I did. That movie fucked me up because it, it, I hit, it hit way too close to home. Dude, tell me about it. Was that how Big Time Phil was or Good Time Phil or was that a different situation? Uh, <laughs> You're like, you know what, dude? This is personal and he might listen. No, so. <laughs> no, Phil was kind of a lovable moron um, and, and I say this with the utmost respect. Um, he, he had an extended cab truck and he put his name – on the the driver's side extended cab part, and he put his girlfriend at the time's name on the extended cab part of the passenger side. And I'm like, nice. Phil, I will never ride in this truck with you. Why not? <laughs> I'm like, because I'm not Carrie. Like, this is <laughs> fucking stupid. What have you done to your truck? But then he perpetually never had a license anyway. So if he wanted to drive around in his truck, he had to get one of his friends to drive him around. So he was <laughs> Carrie, and I was Phil. So. I love this guy. I already love him. I love him. <laughs> he, but he was the type of guy to where if you were a friend of Phil's, he would give you the shirt off his back. He was a good guy. He he met really really well. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. I mean, like, seriously, I've had a, I've had several of those people in my life, and they're always the people that I have like some of the best experiences with too. Like some of those fondest memories of having like a really kick ass time. For instance, like the '90s, I just went ape shit. You know what I mean? So all my good time fills were all in the <laughs> 90s, man. But God, I love those guys just so much. remembering the last time that I heard of Phil, I saw him on the news. And this was several years after I'd last seen him. And he had like, I think, four kids or something like that in his car with him and tried to drive through some flooded water. And it swept the creek oh, down. It swept the car downstream. And strangers <laughs> had to intervene and save his family. And he was on the news talking about it. And I was like, oh, Phil. <laughs> You're like, this does not surprise me, but it's 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 so Phil. Classic Phil. <laughs> Classic Phil. <laughs> hey, man, I, two things. Two things. I'm not sure if you're aware of one of them. The other one I know you won't be. But do you know, going back to Sawyer Brown, do you know where they got their start? No, no clue. Star Search, my friend. No shit. Yep, they were on Star Search. Them and uh, I was just talking about Star Search the other day on the show, but uh, they were, I believe they were on the same time when there was this other guy named Sam Harris and he like, he won everything because he kept doing this this rendition of uh, Over the Rainbow or maybe they were a season apart because I think that Sawyer Brown actually won, which like, you know, got them into the big time. But yeah, that was like the early version of uh, like American Idol kind of, you know what I mean? And, and yeah, Sawyer Brown. I remember that. I remember going, that's an interesting name for a band. And I would sit there and watch that show religiously with my family. So that's like really like my only knowledge of anything that they've ever done. But I'll never forget that star search. <laughs> I just Secondly, remember he was funny on the stage and throughout the entire performance, women just kept coming up and giving him roses. So by the time the show was over, he had a giant bouquet of roses and he was like, all right, thank you so much. I'll be in the auditorium or I'll be in the the entryway selling roses. <laughs> it's really funny. <laughs> that is funny. Uh, you were talking about a song that makes you choke up. 
And I don't know why this song does this to me. This is my second thing I was going to tell you. Uh, I have one and it never fucking fails. And I used to laugh at people when they would say that. I, wa- I remember I was watching – I was watching something on like Showtime one night and it was about this um, – this guy that just never kind of really grew up and he was he's like the old guy that's hanging out with all the younger people and they're like going to raves and he's like he's rolling on ecstasy and shit and he just clearly looks like he's out of place you know but then it showed him coming home and he was uh he's like yeah but i can't listen to this damn song man and they they played the whole thing and, and you watch him cry through it and i just it just be really comical to me and it was a uh, uh Jesus, Cats in the Cradle, the song Cats in the Cradle, oh, like the yeah. original version of it, you know, and I would laugh my ass off thinking, what the fuck? Like, this is ridiculous. And then I have a kid and I start going to school and I'm not around a lot because yeah. I'm busy doing this, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get my license and I'm, I'm studying and, you know, it was kind of like a rough time back then, but I just, I just had this little boy that I didn't even really know that well, this kid that's now 21. I didn't know the one-year-old version of him very well because I was so busy in school all the time. I did my best, but I just really couldn't you know, be there as much as I'd like to. One day I hear this damn song and I'm like predicting myself, I'm, I'm projecting myself like 20 years in the future and I'm listening to the lyrics of this damn song. And one night it got me and I just like started crying. Like I was in my car fucking crying, listening to this song. Cause I'm like, I'm such a terrible dad, you know, and <laughs> this is what's going to happen. And when I want to hang out with him, when he's older, he's going to, he's going to tell me no. Cause I got all this other shit I have to do. And you had your chance and blah, blah. And I just lost it, dude. It was weird. And ever since then, I can't listen to that damn song. I have to like turn it off or like start talking about something like if I'm around people because every single goddamn time it chokes me up. It's not even that great of a song, I don't think. But it's like it just it's weird how like, you know, like you said, I don't know when you first heard that one song, but it still gets you to this day to talk about. If I was to go down the path that you just did and talk that song out. Even though it's not my current scenario, mess, you? I would be a fucking mess, dude. It's so weird. <laughs> I, yeah. you know what? I, I think that emotions in your brain, once you create a pathway to something, especially as strong and nostalgic as music can be, sure, once yeah. you make that pathway, it's, it's just there forever. That, like you're, that emotion is now like attached to that song. And so if you hear it, it's like you can hear it in passing and not dive into it, but if you really open yourself up to it and you dive into that emotion, it's going to be raw and it's going to be powerful. And oh. it's that's one of the cool things about about music. And the the other weird one is a smell. Smell can do that to people as well. Like you get a a strong emotional memory that's attached to a smell, and then you cannot think of it at ever or not think of it one bit, and then just catch. A whiff of that, and it'll put you right back in that spot again. Okay, I have to say, because for a second you broke up on me, but I think I got the gist. You were saying that the songs can do that and the smells can do it as well, correct? Yes. Okay, sorry about that. You just went robotic <laughs> for a second. I only oh. caught a little bit of that. <laughs> yeah, no, more just talking about like, Dan, say is. something. We're on a show here. Respond, buddy. <laughs> how trippy <laughs> it is that when you, when you smell something, it can have that same strong reaction that music can do for you. Yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, I'm very... Very in tune with music. I mean, I'm sure you know that we tend to, and Steve is as well. We tend to talk about music all the time, and it's just that's always been my thing. Where where you know my friends were out playing football or whatever. I just was never like a very sports oriented guy. I was always more into like the arts and film and and you know comedy and and music and things like that. But yeah, I was really really into music, and and something occurred. I, I know other people do this too, but it's still to this day. And I don't know if you get this or not, but there are certain songs. And it could be the same part of that song, and I could hear it ten times in a row. It'll give me like straight up goosebumps to hear a certain like when it, when a key change happens or 
just a certain lyric that comes out. It's just so weird how we associate those things like that. Yeah, I like what, what you're saying. Excuse me. I'm over here about to hiccup on you. But uh, yeah, man, I don't know. I think music is a beautiful thing and that's that's always been the thing that I've been drawn to throughout my entire life. Even when I was a kid, I have stories of my grandma telling me that I could barely even say the words Jim Croce. I don't know if you know who that is. But, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, like apparently I begged her as a very little age and it was confirmed by my parents because my grandma used to make up some stories. I'll just be real. But my <laughs> parents confirmed this one that I would just – I had this obsession um, when Tower Records was a thing. I would beg her to take me to Tower Records because I wanted to get like a Jim Croce album. So music has just always been with me. It's the That's only awesome. thing – it's like the only thing when it comes to like the arts, if you will, that that has it's – just, it's just always been there. I mean I've played it. I, I feel it. I live it. It's um, it's a beautiful thing, man. People, everyone has their thing, but music is mine for sure. Yeah, it definitely comes through, and and that's that's awesome, man. Um, there there are times where I'm disappointed in myself that that you know music used to be such a big thing in my life, and now it's like I can do an entire car drive, car ride without even turning on the radio, and I'm like, what the <laughs> what has happened to you? But it's like, also yeah. part of it is is like I've gotten so taken into like you know, listening to podcasts and stuff like that to where it's like kind of that's, that's more taken over, Sure, you know, my, my drive time. And like, for sure, like I can't, I have a hard time listening to a podcast and like doing like a workout though. Like I, I feel like I need music for that. Like kind of depending on what it is. I'm with you 100% on that. I, last year I was working out pretty regularly and I was really hitting a good stride and I'm not blaming the music for this. I actually messed up my shoulder. But I was noticing when I would do my cardio, I was listening to old shit like suicidal tendencies and just like, you know, like thrash shit because it make it's yeah. that's what gives me that that energy to want to keep going. And plus I know all those songs. So if I'm if I'm like starting to feel tired, I'll go, Oh, let me just focus on the lyrics of the lyrics of the song and I'll get myself through another two, three minutes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh it does not work with podcasts. I just I felt myself wanting to stop sooner. Uh, I don't know. There's something to it. You know, I mean, maybe it's just the, the pattern of the way people talk or or maybe not. It's not necessarily the content because it was all shows that I really enjoyed, but I could not work out with podcasts and I have to. It's music or nothing. It's really strange. Even like silence. I don't like working out. It has to. I have to have something going into my ears yeah. that's kind of heavy and fast. And that's what gives me that, you know, that willpower to keep on going. Exactly. Like, yeah. Yeah. If I'm like out in the garage trying to do some sort of workout out there and I listen to podcasts, I'll pay more attention to the content of the show yeah. th- than the workout. Whereas, you know, if I'm out like doing like a walk or something like that and I'm all by myself, that's when I would love to listen to a podcast while I'm walking, you know, cause it's like, I'm just walking in a fast clip. I don't really need something to inspire me right here. But if I'm like doing something in the garage where I'm, you know, doing a bunch of squats or doing something yeah. that's going to need that energy. Where the mechanics boost. are involved. Exactly. Exactly. And and that's where, that's where music is still a huge part of my life. But, but man, there's, there's some discussions and stuff where I see online where people are talking about bands and I'm like, well, I've never even heard of them. <laughs> yeah. Know? It's like, God, I'm so fucking out of touch. It's just sad. Well, it happened to me too, man. I mean, I used to be the guy that just knew every single band. Like I would go, like when I was studying for for my uh, my degree, and I would go to Barnes and Noble. They had this excellent cafe that was upstairs and sort of removed from everybody. And I would do like two hours of studying, and then I would just sit there and read all like the Rolling Stones and the Kerrang and all the you know what I mean, all the the metal magazines and whatever. And I was just so into it, man. I was actually trying to get onto Rock and Roll Jeopardy when that was a thing, and it didn't happen. But I think it's just you know priorities change. Kids, work, whatever. 
it just it just takes away from that that for me anyway it was that 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 was like my thing you know like like people collected guitar picks or concert tickets or whatever i was into collecting music i wanted to know every single fucking band you know who reminds me of that actually is kevin shanks oh yeah yeah that dude yeah kevin audiophile dude hell yeah man i i I got it i had so much fun hanging out with him and i haven't really talked to him much since except for online of course but i really want to get that guy on the show because i i want to talk music and just like i want a three four hour music conversation and i think like he's the guy to do it you know he knows so much about that shit yeah such a great dude (laughs) again again just another another fantastic representative of the leftover army yeah kevin's good people i was so happy to get to meet him also hanging out with him i I did not feel as smart but (laughs) (laughs) didn't feel like i really uh had that intelligence level that i was really shooting for but no i'm just kidding kevin's great And he has the best taste in shoes I've ever seen. The, the dude's got the like they're multicolored. Like I would never wear them, but I, he rocks them perfectly. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's too funny. That was supposed to be a compliment, Kevin. If you're listening, <laughs> it's kind of a backhanded compliment, but I meant well when I say it. Oh, that's fantastic! <laughs> <laughs> well, shit, dude, it is. We've been talking for three hours and twenty-two minutes at this point. Holy shit! I know. <laughs> And what's what's funny is like I think we could probably talk for another three and a half hours, and yeah, man. We probably wouldn't run out of shit to talk about. But I don't think so. I don't think so. But yes, <laughs> uh, an extended amount of time has has passed. <laughs> the sun's going down already. It's crazy. Yes. Sun's going down, big guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I I think I think it goes without being said. We need to do this again, Dan. Of course. And Joe, I've said this to you several times now, and. I, trust me, I mean every word of it. Like I gotta, I gotta get you on Heroes, man. We gotta I, do this. Really I soon. would love that. I, um, uh, whenever you can fit me in on the schedule, let's make it happen because I would be there, dude. Absolutely. Well, we'll definitely talk. We'll definitely talk about that off mic or you know at some later date. But I just we'll, we'll figure out the schedule and it's got to happen because there's just these people. I wish I really want to get more guests on. And now that I've hung out with all of you guys, like I really want to get you on the show. So okay. it's going to be happening real soon. That will be a good time, dude. Absolutely. Looking forward to it, man. Hell yeah. So, um, yeah, catch Dan on Heroes of Noise. Um, dude, I, <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I looked everywhere trying to find game show music because I was going to put it on so to make it more comfortable for you to do your contact info. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I Every time I'm like, why do I keep doing this? Why do I? Why can't I just – maybe I should just record it once and then I never have to deal with it no, ever again. No, because it's, every time it's impressive. Every time you do it, I'm like, fuck, he's good at that. <laughs> Thanks, man. Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, let people know where they can get more Dan Ramirez in their lives. Well, if that's a thing and you actually want that, then you can go over to www.heroesofnoise.com. There you're going to find our show. You're going to find our other show that is – it's not function anymore, but it's still – you can listen to it. It's regarding the, the show, the Jesus. Let me try that again. See? You gave me a compliment and now I'm fucking up. See what happens? You drew attention to me. Anyway, what I'm trying to say is it's called The Word, the unofficial Preacher podcast, and it's all about the show Preacher on AMC, also about the comic. But the main show, Heroes of Noise, www.heroesofnoise.com. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Pandora, pretty much anywhere uh, – where else? Spotify, anywhere that you can get a hold of podcasts. We do a pop culture show a lot of the time. A lot of times we steer towards music, and a lot of times it's just two friends that are just 
it's like what's going to come out next we really don't know and honestly we do kind of plan our shows that way sometimes where it's like you know what let's just do a loose show and see what happens i'm very happy doing this show my partner steve hudson is one of the most amazing people that you'll ever come in contact with love the guy and we would love for you to listen so again heroes of noise podcast check us out definitely go check out heroes of noise it is such a good show dan Thanks, thank friend. you so much for being on it has been fucking rad i knew it would be and it's been great <laughs> It's been my absolute pleasure, Joe. Thank you so much. We are going to do this again. Absolutely. Sure. For sure. All right. Thank you all very much for listening. Until next time, this has been StartCast.